Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the big Thursday Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. It's signing day. It's 8.30 Wednesday night, signing day. 21 new Buckeyes signed with Ohio State. That's what we're going to talk about to lead off this big Thursday podcast. I don't know. I would imagine we'll go at least an hour on recruiting. And then maybe the second hour on football. Maybe an hour and a half on recruiting. Maybe a half hour on football. I'd like to get to some football. Because I think most of the people listening to this love recruiting. But also the Big Ten Championship game is, you know, coming up. It's just so weird. But we've been covering it all day. We talked to Ryan Day. We talked to Mark Pantone. And we asked texters for questions. So we'll let the texter questions guide us through this. We appreciate all you guys hanging with us. And we'll start off with this question from the 716. Nathan was kind enough to go through uh, the 100-plus questions we got from tech subscribers about this. What's the biggest recruiting victory and the biggest recruiting failure in this class? And I will say that this person then went on to ask like seven other questions. And at the end, they said, I have another nine-hour road trip I will be using to listen to all the pods from now through Christmas. And to have these questions answered might keep me awake. At the same time, Doug, my girlfriend appreciated the guinea pig conversation amidst all the football talk on our previous nine-hour drive. So thank you for that. So we'll, you know, if there's a guinea pig talk to mix in, we'll get to it. We probably aren't going to get to all 10 of your questions. They were all great, but I like that off the top. It's a good way to set up this conversation about the number two recruiting class in the country. What's the biggest recruiting victory and the biggest recruiting failure in this class? Steven, what's the biggest victory first? Because we'd like to be positive. We're a very positive podcast. What's the victory? Yeah, um, the biggest victory is obviously getting Travion Henderson, the number one running back in the country, number 24 overall player, and then pairing that with the number two all-purpose back in the country, Evan Pryor. So basically turning your failures into a positive in this class is getting two top 100 running backs, 
who can both be in the future. Uh, we all think Trevion Henderson's probably going to be a starter next year. Ryan Day talked about Evan Pryor could carve himself out a role as a guy, especially with a unique skill set with his ability to catch passes out of the backfield, while Trevion Henderson is more of a first and second down between the tackles type of back, at least right now. Obviously, you want to develop them fully. So get Tony Alford riding the ship in the running back room is clearly the victory, and it's been the victory for months. The who, was, who was the big competition for Henderson? Where would he have gone if he didn't go to Ohio State? I'll look, I mean, Virginia Tech, Alabama were all in, in play here. It, it was never, but it was mostly just Ohio State after a while. Virginia Tech, Alabama were the type of Clemson were all in his top five, top six list. But this was, this was the Ohio State win all the way. Ryan Day went down there one time, and then most of the relationship was built through talking to the recruits. So I do think it depends how you want to, how you want to use the word victory here. I think like the most important victory is Travion Henderson that I agree with. Like the biggest victory part of what you said, Stephen is like, well, they had a hole mm-hmm. and they went down. They were like, Hey, do you want to come in and like maybe play right away? And he was like, yeah, I'll come play right away. And he's from Virginia. He's not that far away. Where is a kid from Virginia going to go right now? I mean, I guess he could have gone to Clemson or whatever, but like that's like a familiar recruiting territory for Ohio state at a position of need. So and they just got him early and locked him in, and they just both seemed program and kid just seemed in lockstep the whole time. So that is not what my answer would be. Nathan, what do you think the biggest victory in this class is? Yeah, I'm trying to think back through the actual battles that were going on. We did like a whole series of them in the offseason, like what the recruiting battles were for some of these guys. And I was thinking that maybe someone more like a – even like a Jordan Hancock or someone, someone at a position of great need like that, where it seemed like there really was a battle to bring them into the, the class. Right. I mean, Steve would still have a better perspective on this than I would probably, because he's followed it even more closely, but someone where they, it really came down to like, are they going to go to an, it's not just that you brought that person into your program. It's that you took them away potentially from another national contender or I suppose a big 10 contender, but that really hasn't been as much. I agree with that. I agree with that choice. I think, especially since it being their second top 100 cornerback that they brought in, but they tried, it's more the Evan Pryor, the fact that they got both. But with this one, I agree because they had to go take him from Clemson. And if you talk to any of these commits, as much as the coaching staff did their due diligence through all this, Jalen Johnson is really responsible for that. He stayed on him even after he committed uh, talking to Jacqueline Johnson's father about this, talking to Jalen Johnson about this constantly. They never really felt like Jordan Hancock was a, a lot to be a Clemson commit. They always felt like if they just stayed on him for another three or four months, didn't get him into the summer and just got him in these group chats, talked to him through game game consoles, everything else that he would flip. And that's exactly what happened. And Jalen Johnson worked his magic there. They all credit him for the job he did there. So if we're, if from a battle standpoint right now, it's Jordan Hancock, we'll see what happens with JT Tumalau. Cause that will take that number one spot, but just from simply having to, Especially because you got it over Clemson, you wouldn't snatch it from Clemson, given you know the relationship those two programs have right now. If we're going to go at it from that perspective, it's clearly Jordan Hancock. That's still not who I would say. I I still don't know why Emeka Egbuka is in this class. Why did he come here? He lives on the other side of the country. He's coming into a stacked recruiting room. I mean, I get it. It's a, you know, you build on strength. You want to. I get it. What they're but that is still amazing to me. I cannot believe. And that kid, it took a long time. They only got him last week. I just thought there, you know, I, I like, what do I know? What do I like? Jimmy Lake 
was the defensive coordinator for Washington when Urban Meyer in his last bowl game at the Rose Bowl, they played Washington after the 2018 season. And Jimmy Lake then took over for Chris Peterson as the head coach at Washington. Jimmy Lake is one of those guys you talk to. I like Jimmy Lake. I mean, just hanging out, not hanging out. We weren't getting a drink. We're in the interview room. You're talking to the Washington defensive coordinator before the Rose Bowl. I just like that guy. I think that is a good young coach on the rise. And, and I don't know why Ohio State's getting all these kids from Washington. Why is Washington Ohio State's fertile recruiting ground now? They've got three. So, so well, two, two right now. Two, and they're going after, yeah. yeah. And, and JT Tumalau would be, yeah, would be the next. But like, why? That is a crazy win to me, like a victory. It's just still inexplicable that that he didn't go to Oregon, that he didn't go to USC. That I, and I get it. The, the Pac-12 is down, and, and everybody keeps pulling kids off the West Coast. I know that's true, but I thought Jimmy Lake might lock that down. Mario Cristobal seems like he's doing a good job at Oregon. Why did he get away from them? And that, that he came to a place where there are all these guys in front of him. There are more guys coming behind him. That still is a crazy win to me. And I know I'm looking at it from afar because everybody knows Steven's the recruiting guy. He actually works on this stuff. Am I too dumbfounded by that, Steven? I still can't believe it. I still can't believe that they got him. Your reasoning for why is right, but it's aimed at the wrong people. I Using Washington or any Pac-12 school as an example is the same thing you could say with Travion Henderson of where would a five-star running back from Virginia go right now? You know, it's either Clemson in the ACC or you go elsewhere. And it's the same thing with, but with uh, Emeka Abuka, it's nobody in the, in the Pac-12 right now. So you aim that, I think if you were aiming it at Oklahoma, it would make perfect sense because Lincoln Riley is developing NFL quarterbacks too there. Obviously we'll see what, what Spencer Rattler ends up being next year, but he's, that's the other guy when we're talking about quarterbacks and passing offenses and developing first round wide receivers, CD lamb, the latest one, he could have gone into that, that system had the same type of explosive offense playing against big 12 defenses. So it's probably going to be even more explosive on any given Saturday and also maybe be the number one or number two receiver immediately and his his quarterbacks are going to be Spencer Rattler for maybe a year Caleb Williams for the other two years where which is his best friend that's the reason why he waited so long to commit anywhere is because he wanted to go visit Oklahoma and hang out with Caleb Williams who's already living in Norman and has been for the last couple of months so if you were aiming it towards why did this kid come join this crowded room to play with a great offense when you could go to this other room with a great offense and still get the same result but just quicker why did you not do that? So if you end it there, then you would you would have a better argument than asking why he's not going to Washington, who's still trying to get things together. I, I guess the way I look at it is like maybe someday we'll look back at this and see like, oh, can you imagine if Emeka Ibuka had not come to Ohio State and had this amazing career they ended up having? But like the way you look at it right now, it's like would this feel would this class feel incomplete without Emeka Ibuka? It was almost like it was almost like the cherry on top of this class in some ways. I don't mean to and I don't mean to to slight his potential impact here, but it's like they already had a couple good receivers coming into this class, um, highly ranked guys and a a pretty stacked class altogether. And then to add him on top of that seemed like almost just like this, this extra gift on top of everything else. Whereas if you miss if you take any of these top 100 cornerbacks out, that's where it seems like you are thinning out the depth of a potential important depth for next couple, three years. Yeah, yeah, they need Hancock and they need they need Hancock at corner and they need Henderson at running back more than they need Ibuka at receiver. 
Um, I still think it's still, and I get it. And we've talked about this. Everybody's talked about this, written about it. We discussed it just that the West coast kids are fleeing right now. It's the same thing with CJ Stroud in California. It's the same thing with Kendall Milton, you know, in, in California, went to Georgia and was recruited by Ohio state. There's not a hometown advantage on the West coast right now, right now, because there's not a dominant program in the PAC 12 and the PAC 12 itself is not a dominant conference. And so the best kids on the West coast who want to win a national championship don't feel like they have a local option really. And so then you're getting on a plane, but still geography counts. Trivion Henderson is 500 miles from Columbus. Mm-hmm. Emeka Buka is 2,000 miles from Columbus. That, as far as I can tell, is four times farther. So that is just, I still just can't believe it. And at some point, I mean, when you're a great coach, and I understand what you're saying, Stephen, that he wasn't down to Washington and Ohio State. But when you hire, it's the same thing. Listen, Urban, not Urban, Ryan Day is telling us, not that we didn't know it, but he mentioned today, and again, Everybody, you guys know this. The whole point of today is that Ryan Day and Mark Pantone can say the names of these recruits for the first time. So it's not just Stephen talking to the recruits and getting information. It's not just like, oh, we heard this. It's Ryan Day can say it. So Ryan Day said today, for instance, one of the very first things he did when he took over for Urban Meyer in December of 2018 was go see Jack Sawyer. And then Jack Sawyer commits to Ohio State a month later. And that is a huge deal because guess what? When you're the new coach, the first thing you do is visit the local talent and say, please come to your home state school. So that's what I thought Jimmy Lake might do. That's why I still think like, you know, Washington was at the Rose Bowl two years ago. Washington doesn't stink. That's a good program with a good coach. And I thought, Maybe he'd slam the door on Washington the way you expect a coach to eventually slam the door on Texas, the way, you know, good coach Greg Schiano is starting to recruit New Jersey right now. So that's why I'm still surprised by it. And that's why, and I get it, but also, I mean, beating Oklahoma and Lincoln Raleigh, that's a big deal too. I get it. I just, I think adding talent to strength is one of the hardest things to do in recruiting. Probably I get it. You want to build, everybody wants to be in the room. They want to play, man. They want to play. Come on. They want to play. And so to, to, to sell, that's a coach argument. The coach argument is, Hey, we're awesome at this. Come be with more awesome people. Right. Oh, that's a very responsible thing. Like I believe in my talent, but I don't want to be the best person. I want to surround myself with the best. That's a very mature way to look at things. A lot of teenagers say, I want to play. So that's often a pitch too. So just when you're able to, recruit strength on top of strength. That's always going to be amazing to me. But I think Hancock, I think in the end, the answer here is there's a lot of victories, right, Stephen? I mean, like there's not, we're not pointing to one. We're arguing over which of these three, and we could argue three more are all really good wins in this class. Yeah, it's kind of to the point of the first thing you do when you take over a program is go talk to a local talent. Maybe the answer then is Jack Sawyer because, I mean, that kid committed and just went to work recruiting. He was not a... Mark Pantone called this a dramalist cycle, and he's right. Jack Sawyer didn't care much to do anything else but recruit for Ohio State. He didn't. He told me the only school he'd ever been on 
ever in this entire process was Penn State. And that was before he had even talked to Ryan Day when he took over the job. That was just to go to the, a junior day just to get some work in before he even committed to Ohio State. Since then, he hasn't been anywhere else. Uh, it, this has been as simple as it can be for a five-star guy rated as a t- top five player in the country. And without him, none of this is possible for Ryan Day. So maybe that's the answer because he makes all the other wins possible. All right, what's the biggest failure? I mean, to me, there's kind of an obvious one here. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about, I kind of have a nice little story emerged out of the failure. But when you're the number two class in the country, you have what I think five, five stars, you fill secondary needs, you stack receivers, you get two top 100 running backs, you get a five-star quarterback. I mean, like there's not a lot of failures, but Steven, what's your answer here? Uh, offensive tackle. I mean, missing on JC Latham, who was favored to you for months. Now he's the what, number two player in the country and the number one offensive tackle in the country. So you're talking about a class who could have had three of the top four players in the country by the time February gets here, depending on what Tumalau does in one class. And Alabama coming in and stealing him from you along with, you know, flipping Devonta Smith at the same time. But then also because you were so probably co- confident that JC Latham was coming that you kind of maybe were a little late on the ball with Tristan Lee, which Lee will admit that they, that he knew he had been talking to him, but he could tell the moment that JC Latham committed that they kind of shifted their focus to him. So missing on both of those guys and Zen Michalski's a, a quality kid and he's rising in at rising in the recruiting rankings. He's a four-star. Now he's a three-star when he committed. And that's a great story. And yes, you did a great job with the interior offensive line, getting Donovan Jackson and Ben Christman, two guys who are in the top 150, but, to miss out on a on a JC Latham and then not get a, a high level offensive tackle at all, it puts a lot of pressure on the 2022 class and for you to land there. That's the answer, right, Nathan? Yeah. No, I don't. You know, I don't know what the other contender even would be. Yeah. And then, to, so Zen Machowski was a guy whose name did come up a decent amount today, and I thought Mark Pantoni. Mark Mark Pantoni was dropping some little nugs. Yeah. He, Mark Pantone went to Chick-fil-A before he talked to us today, and I think he got a full platter of nugs, and he was just dropping them, just, you know, chilling out, you know, just being the recruiting guy, just being a little bit of this, a little bit of that. He's talking about that, that Zen Machalski, who's from uh, Indiana, as Steven said, now four-star, number 318 overall player. He was originally committed to Louisville, and, and, and Mark Pantone said during the pandemic, with all this downtime, they didn't have to worry about – hosting visits and that kind of thing that the, they have. A, he has a recruiting staff. It's not just Pantone. And so what he did, it's just devious. I mean, it's obvious, but it's like he was telling us how they plotted a bank robbery. It was like Ocean's 11, Mark Pantone. I mean, now I'm just going to be like a recruiting guy and be like, would Mark Pantone be George Clooney or Brad Pitt in, in this version of Ohio State recruiting Ocean's 11? Or you know what? Is he the perfect combination of both? That's how recruiting people talk about Mark Pantone because you got to be you got to be friendly with them. I like Mark Pantone. I also think he's handsome. I'm just I'm just making fun because it's this recruiting. Took a turn. I'm just. <laughs> I mean, do we want to? Should we do handsome rankings? We'll do handsome rankings of Ohio State. Brian Hartline, very handsome. We'll save we'll that for the third. Al hour. Washington, very handsome. We'll do handsome rankings. Yeah, in the third hour, handsome rankings. So he's explaining. He just gets all the recruiting guys and he says, I want you to go through all the commitments and everybody gets a conference and it's who can we steal? He just wants to all the guys who are already at other schools. He's trying to figure out who can Ohio state take. And Zed Machowski is at Louisville. They're looking into him. 
He's gained like 60 pounds from his junior year to his senior year. And they're like, I don't know. We can steal this guy. I'm going to steal this guy. So JC Latham is like, I'm going to Bama. And they're like, all right, sorry, Louisville. And they, cause they had their list, but they weren't, they were pre plotting. They had money in the bank. Now nah, they didn't have money in the bank. JC Latham was never in the bank, but the check was on the way. He, he was walking. He was walking over there. They were going to the ATM. They were going to the JC Latham ATM. And they were like, you know what? If it turns out this ATM is out of money, what bank should we rob? That's what they did. Like, just in case they pre plotted the robbery. So they were ready. And I found that fascinating. Not that you wouldn't do it, but that Pantone assigned staffers to different conferences. You know, so they, so this guy had the ACC. He finds Zemachowski at Louisville. You know, there's some, the person who had the SEC was like, oh man, I had this kid at Kentucky. I thought we could steal him. Or I had this old missed kid that would have been perfect for us to steal. He's probably mad they didn't steal his guy. Steven, good little recruiting nugget, wasn't it? Solid recruiting nugget. Him and Jen Michelski are pretty good at telling stories about how they ended up in Ohio State's class. Resentments. I had one offer in January, and now I'm a Buckeye. So, yeah, Mark Antonio should should he maybe he should write stories for a living because you know he's got some good antidotes he can start off stories with. So, yeah, quality pickup. I understand why you went and got him, but you know at the same time, both it seems like both sides realized that this was a last resort type of pickup situation because they because of what happened with some of the, the their top targets. They know that now they had to go get this kid, and he's okay with that because you know, now he's a Buckeye. And it's one of those things, once you're on campus, they don't care whether you were a first option or a last option. But, I mean, it, why beat around the bush? You can't – why deny it? Be like, oh, no, we like this kid. It's like, no, he was the backup plan. He was like the fifth backup plan. Nathan, the one thing I thought that was also interesting about this, and it came up, is the idea of – we, we have talked about this with Urban Meyer a lot over the years, and usually it applied to Ohio guys, and Urban tried to sort of maybe leave a little wiggle room there of the late risers, the late bloomer, the guy whose senior year, Phil, is what gets him the offer that, hey, we weren't even really that interested in this guy as a junior. But senior year, we still had a little room in the class, and he opened our eyes. But in a pandemic where some guys didn't play their senior years, some guys had truncated senior years, coaches couldn't go out and see him, so none of it was normal you did not have the typical opportunities there. Unfortunately is another, there's some kid out there who in a normal world would have had a great senior year and earned an offer at Ohio state. And he didn't get a chance to earn it. And that stinks. There's a CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud wouldn't be in this class if he was a year younger. Terrible. I I hate it for those guys, but then CJ Stroud or the kid who's like CJ Stroud, he'll let what would have wound up at Arizona state or, Mm -hmm or Utah or whatever, and have a great experience, whatever it's, it's, but it's, it is unfortunate, but Zen Machowski, they said this. So they, he, he gains all the weight. He does play in Indiana. He does play. Now they got the offer out to him. Like by the second week in September, they got it out quick, mm-hmm. but they were able, they saw senior film and the senior film. It's great to have a list that steal this Louisville guy. They needed more proof. I did like that aspect of that story, Nathan, because I'm, I'm a hypocrite with this because on one hand, when they don't get C.J. Latham and they wind up with a kid ranked in the 300s, I'm like, well, that's a failure. And on the other hand, I'm always like, why don't they save spots for the late risers? Why do they have to recruit top 100 guys all the time? And so then, then they get a Zen Machalski, and I say, why'd you get a Zen Machalski? 
but I, I do like those stories sometimes. He earned it late. Well, yeah, like someone else, I, I think maybe Dewan Jones would apply to this too. Wasn't he a fairly late yeah. situation in that class a couple of years ago? I mean, another kid from Indiana, another tackle from Indiana. I mean, it's same situation almost exactly. And then that kind of player, it's it's not that those guys would have just been cast off into space like like George Clooney, for instance, like breaking off from the tether in um, gravity and just spoiler floating alert. off to die. Yeah, sorry, like spoiler alert. No spoiler alerts when the movie's like 10 years old. Um um, but, but it's cause they would just be somewhere else. He would have gone to like ball state or whatever he would have gone or Louisville in this case, like these are, you know, Louisville, not a bad football program. Well, it is kind of right now, but typically not a bad, historically not a bad football program. So it, it, that's kind of, they wouldn't have had bad decisions, but they wouldn't have had options, but they wouldn't have had this option. They wouldn't have had the chance to come to a program like this. And they probably, I guess, cascades on down, right? There's probably guys who Louisville that didn't get that are going to end up at, you know, division twos or whatever, or, or, or F F uh, FCS programs or whatever. So yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to follow in the next couple of years, because now that the transfer rules are probably going to get switched or is a program like Ohio state going to be reaching back down to get those kids that they didn't see the way they would have that then break out their first couple of years somewhere else. And maybe they can be pulled in to fill a hole. Yeah. Pantone also said something up like along those lines that was just like, my ears caught it a certain way. Maybe I made too big of a deal of it. Did you guys think this was a big deal? Pantone is saying, okay, during the downtime, because of the pandemic, he had more time. He started doing opponent scouting. That he yeah. was scouting like game film, not just doing recruiting stuff. It's like, hey, we're getting ready to play Michigan State or Rutgers or whatever. I'm going to watch them. And he said he wasn't doing scheme stuff. He's watching the players to say, this guy does this well. This guy does this not very well. But it serves a dual purpose because he mentioned as soon as the one-time transfer rule becomes law for everybody, and it's just going to be anybody can transfer and not have to sit out once, now scouting that, you're not just scouting the opponent. You're scouting potential future Buckeyes because every player in college football is a potential future Buckeye. And he let us in on that. I can't think yeah. on the top of my head what he compared it to, but kind of compared it to the professional scouting. So no, he said like pro personnel. Once this one-time transfer passes, it's almost going to be like a pro personnel department as well. In that you're scouting the talent of other programs, the way that like, you know, the Browns have someone who scouts other NFL teams for who they might want to bring in from other teams. Yeah, Mark Pantone is literally turning his job into just being a GM of a college football team. Well, he's talked about that, but the point is about the players. He said he's going to be a GM, but but yeah. but in the, the but that the player acquisition now runs to current players on other teams. Because in the NFL, you have to be aware there's not that many trades in the NFL. But you're thinking about free agency, but really you're often looking at sort of a, the bottom of the roster guys. So if you need to grab a guy off the practice squad or somebody gets released and, hey, could he help us? You know, you're not watching. The Browns aren't watching, you know, the Raiders because maybe they want Josh Jacobs down the line. It's like, hey, maybe their fourth string receiver, if they ever cut him loose, could help us or whatever. So it's that kind of thing. But that that – that Mark Pantone, who is entire, who is in charge of acquiring talent for Ohio State, now is eyeballing every opponent to think, oh, that's an interesting safety. Mm, he'd look at, and I don't know what that means. I mean, I guess what Nathan, what's the rule going to be on that? Are they going to be able to like 
reach out or is it going to be a kid has to initiate it or are they going to be poaching? My, my presumption is that it will be the same as the transfer portal is now where the team can't initiate the contract contact formally. I'm sure that that happens through back channels now. Anyway, it happens before guys go in the portal. I'm sure let's not, let's be realistic. I'm not talking about Ohio state. I'm talking about every team. So I'm sure that that kind of thing does sort of happen in a, a under the table kind of way. But I assume that in the future, like the, the letter of the law will be a guy puts his name in the transfer portal. And at that point, I think he is then free to reach out to other teams. I, I, Agree with that, but I also think that's what the transfer portal is going to be. Is once you see somebody's name is in the transfer portal, you get, the school can also reach out to them as well. Because the, if they're not in, it's going to work. If they're not in the transfer portal, that's your dead period. You can't talk to anybody. Anybody in the transfer portal, a coach can go talk to them whenever they want because they're technically a free agent as long as their name is in that portal. And once their name's in the portal, you can call their high school coach. There's no rule saying you can't reach out to someone around them. Yeah. You can do that before they go in the transfer portal. This is, but I just can. You, is it going to be a world where, let's say, when Khalil Mack from Buffalo destroyed Ohio State a couple years ago, let's say Khalil Mack had been a sophomore, not a junior, when he did that, and it's like Buffalo sup three sacks by Buffalo sophomore Khalil Mack, comma a future Buckeye, comma helped. The, <laughs> I mean, is that? So when you play, when Ohio State plays Penn State, it's not going to be like, oh, let's see who plays well for Penn State. They're going to transfer to Ohio State. But if they play, I don't know, if somebody for Rutgers goes nuts, it's going to be like, oh, that guy might be a good middle linebacker for Ohio State next year. I, I, I just can't envision it. But is, it, it, is that, that going to be it? I think it's worth worrying about, frankly, because um, obviously Ohio State will be one of the programs that would benefit from that landscape as we've talked about before but i can tell you like here an analogy to another sport i have a lot of friends from like the pittsburgh area and when the pirates were getting good again a few years ago there wasn't a lot of excitement from those fans even though some have been fans for a long time because they had already resigned themselves to the fact that anybody who was good on that team was going to be on another team the next year or maybe even before the end of the year or certainly two years from then and i think that that you don't want that dynamic to come into college sports i don't think I agree with that. And as we said before, professional athletes are not all free agents all the time. Right. They have to earn their free agency. They do not. When you go into a league, you are locked to your team for multiple years in every sport. And then you earn free agency. And then a lot of times when you are a free agent, you sign a multi-year contract. So, okay. It doesn't apply because the guys don't make money, but I have talked with, I was, I talked with somebody um, who knows about this stuff. And I've always thought that the transfer rules and paying players is linked and that how do you tell unpaid amateurs? You can't go anywhere run their coaches can go places, but if you start paying them, then it's like, okay, well, this is not how it works in sports because it doesn't, that's the same thing that a lot of the times when they compare Right now, they compare amateur college athletes to the professional coaches, and a coach can leave. How come a player can't? That's actually a bad comparison. If you start, it's really player to player. That's the comparison because coaches are different. In the, I mean, in the NBA, a coach can leave and break his contract or whatever, and a player can't just go. I mean, it's a different job. But, man, you pay the players, but then you tell them, okay, you're signing your national order of intent. You're making this much money. 
but you got to stay for three years or two years. Or if you leave, you sacrifice something because the total free agency, while good for the player, I think is very tenuous for the sport, Nathan, which seems like you're saying too, depending on how it's applied. Because all of a sudden, and now we would be relying on, and this has happened a lot with politics. The, right now, it's a rule. You can't transfer without sitting out. If you get rid of the rule, then it becomes a norm. Well, guys aren't just going to leave and be free agents. And just as soon as they can leave for a better program, they won't do that. They love their program. They love their teammates. It's like, okay, you better hope so. Because otherwise, the best player on every team that's not in the top 10 is going to transfer to a top 10 team at the end of the year. I, I do think, I think we've had this discussion before. As a matter of fact, I do think it's going to take a guy like Khalil Mack, a Khalil Mack type player who's at a Buffalo, a school he has no business being at, but he's way too talented for going off against one of these power five schools and then transferring for a rule, maybe for at least a discussion of a rule to come into place where, okay, in this world that we're living in, you at least need to stay at your school for two years. And then you have free reign to be, be a part of the transfer portal where you have that one-time transfer and can play right away. But you need to stay for at least two years. If we're paying players, that's why I think what it, if you're paying players and something like that happens where every, the backlash is crazy, that's the only way we get to that point. Don't you think if Rondale Moore in the future, Rondale Moore is a freshman, yeah. rips Ohio State, why wouldn't Rondale Moore be a Buckeye the next year? That's what it would take that type of player. It couldn't just be like Justin Fields going from Georgia to Ohio State's not a good comparison for that because that's the same level. It would take that. A guy who's clearly better than the level of football he's playing for to go somewhere else and make the rich get richer. Well, but the difference is, but what if Trevor Lawrence, I mean, what, what if Trevor Lawrence won the national title as a freshman at Clemson and then transferred to Alabama? That might happen too. It's like, I, don't I think know. what's interesting Why right now, it? the way the transfer rules work is that you, there is some you do have some restriction, like within the Big Ten, you can't transfer from one Big Ten program to another and still be on scholarship that next year. There are other limits that are built into it even now. Um, so I, I think they could probably build in some of those things. But right now, the push, though, is that for players rights is kind of against any restrictions. So somewhere in the middle, I don't know, but, but again, this is where we come back. We're going to get way off track, but this is where you come back to one side is, is organized and one side is not one side doesn't have someone to go in and bargain for these kinds of things. It's just being something that's bestowed on them. And that's the problem. This is something that would be bargained. You have one side and the other. Well, we'll give you this, but you can't do this. And that's, it's, that's not how it works right now. All right, we'll get off this. Let's go to the four, four Oh, it's Frank and Hudson. What under the radar type recruit? are you guys most excited about in this class class? And then Frank like puts this, this, this rule on us. And it says it can't be a top 100 recruit. Oh, yeah. It's like, all right, well, there's, only <laughs> there's like, like three guys. <laughs> yeah. There's only like nine guys who weren't a top 100 recruit. So thanks Frank. So who is a guy non top 100, Steven, that you're very intrigued by? So I asked when when I was putting stories together, I actually sat down with Kyle McCord and, and Jack Sawyer and both of them together, and I had them answer some of these questions. And that was one of the questions I had them answer for me is who they think is an underrated guy. And they both said Sam Hart without even thinking about it. And I think some of that is because they see that there's going to be a clear opportunity for him to play right away as an underrated guy, given what happens with the decision with Jeremy Ruckert, especially when you're losing the two other guys because of the experience in that room. But also – 
he's a different type. He's kind of like what Jeremy Ruckert was, a, a receiving tight end who can move at his size. He's six foot five. Guys don't move the way that Sam Hart can move. And so there's going to be opportunity and also the way Orion Day uses these tight ends in the future. They both think that there's not a lot being said about him and there should be. There actually are nine. There are nine. It's a 21-player class. 12 of them are in the top 100. So we have a choice of nine. Nathan, you got a guy? You know, I was going to throw someone like Denzel Burke into this conversation, someone who it's a position of real need for them, um, short-term and long-term. Um, he's, he comes in with that athlete tag, though, and that's always intriguing to me. Like, does that mean that um, – he really has an even higher ceiling in some ways because he isn't necessarily locked into their position wise. And he's kind of maybe coming later in his career to being a full-time corner and there they can really build him to be more of, of what they want him to be. Uh, he's someone that's always kind of intrigued me to see where he goes next. He's coming from a good high school program too. in at the Saguaro um, in Arizona. I feel like the term athlete maybe 10, 12 years ago was a really good thing to be as a recruit and be classified as that. Cause we can do anything with you, but in a world where some of these kids are starting to develop in their positions in the fourth and fifth grade. I don't, it's probably lost its luster to still be considered an athlete coming into a school. Well, but one is what a recruiting service considers somebody because they just yeah. want to have an extra ranking and one's what the school Pan, This was another guy that Pantone gave an interesting answer about because he was talking about how Tim may, by the way. So on the, on the call, Jerry Emig, the great Ohio state SID now identifies Tim may as, and now we'll go to Tim May of the Tim May podcast mm-hmm. and Letterman Row. And so two things here. First of all, Tim May of the Tim May podcast is a bit much for me, Timbo, frankly. That's a it's bit like, much. It's like when Oprah used to be on the cover of her own magazine every month. Yeah. yeah. Maybe she still is. I don't know. I don't I, I stopped my subscription. And <laughs> And the second thing is, I did not realize there was now an option to be identified not by your outlet where you write, but by your podcast. So I almost typed it into the chat today. Jerry, if we're identifying people by their podcast, I would like to be referred to as Doug Maurice of Buckeye Talk and Cleveland.com because that's the door that's been cracked. But it's also not the Doug Maurice podcast. We now go to Nathan Baird of the Doug Maurice podcast. <laughs> you would quit. <laughs> By the way, Nathan and Steven, we're changing it to the Doug Lamarie's podcast. I'm out. They're done. The Tim May podcast. Tim May asked a good question. Love Tim May. I only tease Tim May because he's the guru and he's going to be, I don't know if there's a college football Hall of Fame writer's wing, but if there is, he'll be in it. He'll be named after him. Yeah. Uh, we go down the to Tim, Tim May writers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we go to Tim May of the Tim May podcast broadcasting from the Tim May wing. Of the Tim May Writing <laughs> Hall of Fame. He asked Mark Pantone, what's the hardest position to recruit? And Pantone said, cornerback. And one of the reasons he said it is because the high school film sometimes is zoomed in too tight. You can't see what the corner's doing on a play. And by the way, a lot of high schools, sometimes they don't throw that much in high school. You can't only watch a corner when, the, when he's thrown at. He might only be thrown at twice a game. You've got to watch what a, die, a, a guy does when he's covering a receiver thinking he might get thrown at, but he doesn't. Or if he's locking a guy down, and that's why he doesn't get thrown at. So the idea that the high school film quality cuts off the corner and makes it difficult to evaluate cornerbacks, I thought was interesting. And then he also said a lot of times, you know, cornerbacks, if they're not getting thrown at a lot, you'd rather play them at safety. They can play the ball more. You play them at receiver, you play them at quarterback. So I just thought it was interesting. He had a direct answer. When, as soon as Tim asked it, he was like, 
cornerback, hardest, hardest position to evaluate. But he said Denzel Burke, I'm going to call him Denzel Ward 4,000 times between now and when he graduates. Just get ready for it. Wait until the Browns draft him. Yeah, really. Yeah. Denzel Burke played a lot of receiver in high school, hasn't played that much corner. They haven't had that. They don't have that much corner film on him, but he wants to be a corner, which Pantone said is like, well, we see him as a corner and he wants to be a corner. So, I, I Stephen, I think you make a good point of like, it's about are you playing, regardless the the – how a recruiting service classifies yeah. you, I don't give two squats about. Are you playing a different position in college than you played in high school? And if you played both ways, I get it. But like, if are you playing a position in college that you did not play that much in high school? That is an interesting characterization. And that would be interesting to look at those guys. Do they develop slower? Do they have less successful careers? Do they transfer more? Do they change position in college more? What is the effect of that? But this is two guys in a row. It reminds me of Cam Martinez a little bit. Really good athlete. Could do different things. They're putting him at corner. I wouldn't expect him to play next year. We think some of these secondary guys might have a chance to play right away. But that's Jordan Hancock and Ja'Kalen Johnson at corner. Top of the list. They have the bodies. They have the experience. Denzel Burke might be a little bit slower on that path. But I agree with you, Nathan. I'm intrigued by him. And I'm very curious how both Cam Martinez from last year's class and Burke from this year's class work out eventually in that secondary room. If I'm not mistaken, Cam Brown came out of high school as a wide receiver mostly. And he became yep. a corner when he got to Ohio state. And it, as we, it wasn't until year three that he was a legitimate part of this offense and until a part of this defense until he got hurt. So it might be a similar situation with Cam Martinez and Denzel Burke, where we're until 2022 and 2023 respectfully is the first time we really see them have a role, which is fine. Which is, and that's why you can recruit different type of guys. I mean, if they're desperate, they need corner help now. They couldn't recruit recruit four corners who all need two years to get acclimated, but they can recruit one or two like that. In, in terms of the answer, Frank also followed up who like has the best chance of this class to play. There's only one answer for which freshman will lead the team in snaps next year, right? There's one answer. Confidently, yeah. Jesse Mirko? Only yeah. answer. He's the punter next year. He's yeah. the only guy yeah. with a gig. Yeah. Do we still know? And I, I actually, this feels like a Baird story to me to investigate this. I swear to God, I think it'd be a great investigation. I still don't know how the recruiting services factor Jesse Mirko into Ohio State's recruiting grade. When you do average stars, when you do total points, 247 still lists him as an N.A., in terms right. of the, he does not ranked, but a three star, they do rank him at his position and in his state, which is Australia. He's the yeah. number two prospect in his state. Um, but yeah, nationally as an NA grade, although he is a three star with, with, his- a, with, a, with, a, with a percent, with a, with a score. So they, they have the number four player in one country and the number two player in another country in the same class. I do think that this they do this with both because um, they did it um, with the kickers last year uh, with Jordan's uh, Jake Seibert. I'm sorry, Jordan Seibert. But Jake Seibert is from player. America. I know, but what I'm saying is with the kickers and punters, they're all they're they're in a when it comes to the national ranking, and they just rank them amongst their their um, position. But and then they just give make, them their own average star but, rating. But it makes sense though because if you think about it, like what if he what if he was just like the greatest punter recruit they'd ever seen? So they gave him a really high score as a punter, but then it would put him as like the number seven recruit in the mm-hmm. country that would kind of 
that wouldn't be to the spirit of what they're trying to do with the rankings. Yeah. So here's but here's what I don't know the answer to. And I don't know that we know the answer to this specifically. First of all, any punter or kicker, when you do this, how does it exactly affect the class rank? So you're saying, and, and one of them is like, I almost think you could throw out kickers and punters because sometimes if it's like, all right, well, here's a class of 20 guys, but we had to take a punter this year. And then you don't have to take a punter for three years. So like the three-star punter, if like, hey, our class is 19 five-stars and a three-star punter. It's like, well, the punter dragged you down. How do they actually factor in punters and kickers? Do they do anything different? And how do they actually decide what their evaluation is of a guy from Australia who's not playing high school football? Like, is that, is it any different to evaluate Jesse Mirko than it is to evaluate Drew Chrisman or Jake Seibert or Blake Hobbiel? How is it different or the same? Or do they just make it up and it's at the bottom of the, the class and nobody really cares? Baird, blow that wide open if you wouldn't mind. Can you, is that all right? Sounds like a, a February job. Like an off-season investigation. Because, I just don't know what the answer is. Yeah, because he does. I mean, because I just pulled up the, the 247 calculator just for the sake of pulling it up. And you can still take guys out. And if you take them out, the projected team score for Ohio State does go down. So, the not overall, by much. Yeah, the overall team score goes from what the 310 score to 309.4. So, But their average star rating goes up. Probably. Yeah. I mean, it has to, right? So anyway, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Let's see. Oh, this is a good one from the 614. Not taking taking Kyle McCord out of it because he's a quarterback. If you were drafting a college team, who would be your first pick from this year's class? So if this was a college draft, if there instead of instead of recruiting, it's a draft and you line up all 130 teams and you pick guys and, and it's Ohio state's turn and they get to pick and we might have to remove them another guy too. Yeah. Who, who's we the first pick? Well. Who's the first pick, Steven? Um, we might as well remove Jack Sawyer okay. from this as well. And I'm pretty sure uh, did these texters steal my questions that I asked these two guys. Cause I, every single question we've had so far, I asked both of those guys and I made them take themselves out of it for obvious reasons as well. So I'm going to take him out as well. Um, so I'm going to go. I don't want to. You don't want to what? Hard, though. I mean, I, I probably Travion Henderson. Maybe. I mean, my it's answer between was him good, or Mecca. My answer was going to be Sawyer until we took him out. Cause I think you're either, you're either, it's either quarterback protecting the quarterback or getting after the quarterback. So I'd probably take Donovan yeah. Jackson. Yeah. Guard. I mean, it's hard. There's a lot of guys who are who are grouped together here. These guys they have who are like, because they have the. So if you take out like McCord and Sawyer, and then Henderson's kind of the obvious one. You could do Egbuka. You could do Donovan Jackson. And they have so many guys. They have the 47, 49, 66, 67, 81 rank guys. 84. They have a lot of guys in that ranking. I, I wonder about like, Jacqueline and Johnson. Like, isn't he going to be really, really good, Stephen? He, yeah, he's the I, number three overall cornerback yep. in the country. That's a good Just one too. Yeah. Seems like a dynamic guy. I think if everybody in this class becomes what they're supposed to be, I think outside of Kyle McCord and Jack Sawyer, he might be the highest drafted guy of this group just because of how positions go. If, if after those three Nathan just named, it's probably cornerback who goes next. So yeah, I, he's going to be a three and done type of guy, borderline five star kid. 
Um, he looks the part literally in every single way, long arms, six foot, 190 pounds, all those things. The expectation with him is that Chef Okuda type route where it's first year, he's maybe probably mostly special teams and year two, he's in the rotation, maybe a starter, maybe just a rotating guy. And then year three, he's the number one corner on this team. Yeah. I think, I think he could speed that up a little bit too. Okuda was pretty stinking good by the end of his sophomore year. I mean, he was yeah. in that, that mix with Kendall Sheffield and Damon Arnett and that kind of thing. But, but that would make sense. Um, yeah. I mean, they do, they have a lot of good guys. I mean, it's hard to get away from trigger on Henderson. I just, I think everybody's in agreement. We've talked about trigger on Henderson. It feels like he's not just good. He's not just maybe the best back in this class. Like he just might be a thing. Trevion Henderson might be one of these guys that people remember at Ohio state for 50 years. So not to put too much on an 18 year old. It was literally like the lead of my story today. He's going to walk on campus for the first time in January and straight into just a, a, a forest of high expectations, basically. So this is the first time because he's technically been on campus, just not in the way that the coaches could be involved. Yeah. The, uh, he is he actually because because it's not gonna, Henderson and Pryor are not both going to play much next year. Master Teague is going to be involved here, and I think we've talked about this some. Master Teague has played well enough that is it is it some expectation in our mind right now that Trayvon Henderson and Master Teague will both carry the ball for this team next year, and maybe Evan Pryor ha- ends up having to wait a little bit because they're not going to hand it to three guys. They're just not. That we can pretend, but that's never how it's worked. And they're not going to have a third down back. And they're not going to, I mean, like they're going to have two running backs at the most. And my guess would be it'll be Travion Henderson and, and Master Teague. Is that where your guesses are? It is. I think Evan Pryor just waits a year and then he joins the rotation as a sophomore. But I just think it's Master Teague's job. And then Travion Henderson comes in here. And just like J.K. Dobbins did in 2017, he forces you to put him on the field. And that's just what I'm master Teague is the Mike Weber and Travion Henderson, JK Dobbins. Yeah. seems like a fair expectation. That's a good comparison from the five, one, three. If you were to give a fun nickname to any 2021 recruit based on the minimal information you have now, who and what would it be? Or is there a guy who already has a good nickname that we should know about from the five, one, three, Steven, you know, any good, you know, any nicknames for these guys? I mean, no, not really. They called, I mean, obviously they called Jacqueline and JK and they called Jaden Ballard JB, but none that are kind of cool. I, people, yeah, people call Zach Harrison Zach Harrison. I think that name probably fits Jack more just because it's only one letter off. So, and it's two S's, Zach Sawyer. I don't know. It's kind of, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's not bad. I would never tell him that though, because no, we like each other. You know, we have a good relationship and I don't want to ruin that. I'm sure there's going to be some like uh, Zen master headlines or, uh, or Zen warrior or something like, I don't know, but like, like that's just one of those names that's like unique enough that it, uh, it, it kind of begs for that. Tim may would actually be very good at this kind of thing. Um, if we were, had Tim nickname, Tim may, there should be a Tim may nickname generator. Um, I, how about this for Jack Sawyer? What about this? Tom. No. Jack Tom Sawyer. It's a great what what better nickname is that? I mean it's so it's it's literate. Any? Um how about Travion Henderson? Because he's gonna be a highlight guy. How about TV? TV Henderson. TV Henderson? Yeah. It's, ooh, yeah. And it goes with his name. I like that. Yeah. Except kids don't watch TV anymore. 
It would have to be like uh, on my smartphone or whatever. What smartphone, kids, Anderson. Do, do, do kids even know what TVs are anymore? Kids today. So that's our best, uh, our guess, best bet how, on the. How nickname. about like uh, for Amika Egbuka, it could be like E squared equals six. Is that? He's gonna. Be, he wants to wear number two. So. I like it. Yeah. See, we'll, we'll, we'll keep working on this. We'll give ourselves a week and we'll come back to this question. Uh, actual factual question from the 512. Any more additions to this class? There are 21 right now. They have the late signing period in February. Do you think, Stephen, that they are going to wind up with at least somebody else in this class? I think JT Tumalao is coming. I think Tristan Lee is not coming. And Rajon Davis has been thrown around as a guy who did not sign during the early period with LSU. And we know because LSU is a mess. And Alabama went in there and raided a bunch of their guys today and took a surmountable lead for the number one class in this in this in this recruiting cycle uh i i don't that one's hard for me that i think tumala is the only one i'm confident in the rajon davis one i don't know why they would do that when you're trying we already have three guys committed in 2022 and you're trying to add a fourth guy that one just doesn't make much sense to me um i think they're pretty good on linebackers where things stand for this year and they're going to reload ne- with the next cycle so i the, the one i'd feel confident with is tumala while the other two i'm probably a no so Tumalau thinned his field. He cut it to five on Wednesday. That was his signing day. He cut it to five. Again, he's a Washington kid, and he cut it to two national powers and the three schools that matter on the West Coast. So it's Bama, Ohio State, Washington, Oregon, and USC. It, it, it's just that the intel out there, the vibe is that is Ohio State right now. And but if yeah. that's the vibe, why is why didn't why is he waiting? Why is he not signing today? I think from in reading some of his interviews, because he only talks to one person, I think he's approaching this maybe the same way that Emeka Abuka did, where he's not moving off of any type of emotion. Um, Emeka took part of the reason he took his time is I think he fell in love with Ohio State very, very early and didn't want to jump at that and make it be an emotional decision. He, he wanted to make sure he had all the facts necessary. And with JT, it was never the plan for him to early enroll anyway. So there was no pressure for him to feel like as the number three player in the country that he has to sign as early as possible because if not, his spot is going to be taken. But so because of the position he's in, he's allowed to take until February. When you're a top five player in the country, you can do that because they're going to hold a spot for you if necessary. And actually with everybody, no, there's no eligibility being used this year. Yeah. Like they're giving everybody a kind of a free pass for next year. It's not the numbers crunch for 85. Like there normally is that mm-hmm. schools will be able to get guys in if they want to get them in, in terms of the numbers. So that's not an issue anymore. I did think this was something interesting that I noticed in the way Ryan Day and Mark Pantone discussed it. And their answer to this question was kind of a coach speak answer, but it did differ from what Urban Meyer used to say from the 513. Urban said if they keep scoring something, he wants to win. Ryan Day seems to be backing off that idea when it comes to recruiting. What do you guys think about that? He was asked specifically, both Day and Pantone. You know, does it matter to you to have the number one class? And Ryan Day said, I want the best class for Ohio State, not the best class just for anybody. And Mark Pantone echoed that. But Urban Meyer did say that. He was like, well, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, if you're ranking it, we want to be number one. Urban never had a number one class at Ohio State. He had number two class in 13, 17, and 18. This is a number two class. Nathan, what are you reading into that? I mean, it was coach speak, but it is different than what Urban used to say. Well, I just think it, it 
I, I, I agree with him. I mean, he, he's saying things that I've said all along that like, if you, it, what, what, is, is, are you supposed to be somehow disappointed that this collection of players wasn't the number one class in the country? Um, I, I don't, and I don't think this, you know, only being the number two class makes it less likely that Ohio state wins a national championship in the next four years with this group of guys. Um, it, it's a subjective thing. It's, it's not like you're, it's not like a game of football where you're, you're outscoring points. It's a subjective thing. You're acquiring, you're acquiring the players and they have this subjective score attached to them. And yes, more often than not, the guys who are scored high turn out to be the best players. I understand that. But as far as the specificity of what decides whether it's one or two or one or three, that's something you can't control and is highly subjective. I like the answer of if you're keeping score, I want to win. I always thought that was a great answer because it covers everything. And so, and, and, but most people would give the answer that Ryan day gave today. I liked that urban gave that very well, urban esque answer. I think what, what Ryan day probably would say, and it's not, it's the, it's the, not the fun one to do, but it's like, if you go back and score this class four years from now, I want us to look like, I want us to score number one in that. And that's, I think where he's, a little more urban Myers. It is kind of, we'll see, let's see what the things look like three years. Let's see who can develop their time. It's cool that you got them all, but let's see who can develop them better because 2017 class. I mean, those are two really good classes. Alabama beat them there. There are two. Who are the two best players in those, in either two of those classes, Chase Young and Jeff Okuda without question. So I think his way of going about it, instead of just being like, yes, I want to win this. Like, no, I want to win the long game. But that's what everybody says. Of course. It's just fun. It's like, well, would you rather win the thing that's mythical and doesn't matter? Or would you rather win the thing that matters? And it's like, well, I'd rather win the thing that matters. But also, I'll win the mythical thing, too. Because if you're keeping score, I want to win. I, that's like a T-shirt slogan. It's so urban. If you're keeping score, we want to win. I love it. That's, uh, that's a good philosophy of life. So let's talk about that. If you signed the number two class in the country, you won. No, that's the I other know. thing to remember here, I though. Know. Like that's, no, I know. <laughs> I just feel like I just it's one of those things that I think fans get just so wrapped up in it. And I, I feel like it doesn't have the value they think it does. No, but 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 that actually is an incorrect statement. Be- well, here's the thing. Who has the number one class? The best Emma. team. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So so there is a direct correlation. It's not like it's not like if you go back five years that South Carolina had the number one class. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. South Carolina's coach just got fired. It's like, no, he got fired because his recruiting wasn't good enough. So there is a direct correlation and it's just fun. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's like, of course it doesn't matter, but it's fun. And we talk about it. And I just like the other answer, but I get it. I get it. From the 916, I've asked this before and perhaps you've already answered it, but I missed your reply. Do the NFL pros help in recruiting? That is, does Zeke Hel- Elliott help at all in Texas? And so that's a very specific question. There is, is he something do the actively help, or is he saying yeah. that just like their their um, presence or their their brand having gone to Ohio State does that help? And it's yes to both, and kind of, um, because I, it, it, this is a better it's, this would have been better to answer if we'd had a spring game this year because Jaden Ballard sat in the in Ryan Day's office last year with. Michael Thomas and his and Jay, it was Jay Ballard, his father Ryan Dan and, and Michael Thomas and Ryan Hartline. So yes, 
they do help out because all of, during the spring game, all of those guys are the highest paid receiver in the NBA and the highest paid running back in the uh, NFL and the highest paid running back in the NFL are both at the spring game. And you can just walk up to him and talk to him. And if Ryan Day wants to pull you in his office and talk to you and he can pull in Michael Thomas too. And, and ironically enough, Jaden Ballard commits two months later. Yeah, they help out. Now, I don't think Zeke is down there in Texas, you know, hitting up Quinn Ewers or Caleb Burton or you know, Donovan Jackson, like, hey, you should make the move up to Ohio State. But I do think that when the, they do have a spring game and when they attend those spring practices and some of these alumni come back around and just walking around, I do think a coach goes, hey, go talk to that kid. That's the number one kid in this class. So that's the number one wide receiver, number one linebacker. I do think they go talk to them when they're on campus. You can't recruit for a school if you're not employed by the school. That's the other thing, too. Yeah. So. You know, yeah, but that's where I do think I do think it is where you can start to look at. I mean, look at just the recent run of receivers that they've had from Michael Thomas to Terry McLaurin to whoever. I mean, like those you can point to those guys in, in as part of the crew. So I think it does help when you can look at the high school kids and say, this is what we turn our, our recruits into. I think that helps. And it um, does help. Yeah. And, and the Ballard example of hanging out in the room where you come back to spring game, and it's a big recruiting day and there's a bunch of guys in the sideline. It certainly all helps this person. This question it's about the regional yeah like does zeke does zeke help at texas and, and i don't think that would be the case i mean yeah, no unless there I mean. happens to be some 15 year old kid who likes the cowboys and his favorite player is ezekiel elliott and so then he wants to go to ohio state because he loves ezekiel elliott mm-hmm. i mean that's possible i guess it's just it is different again i've talked about it a lot and i and i repeat myself a lot but there was a time when there were not a million nfl stars from ohio state And the fact that there are a million NFL stars from Ohio State right now obviously contributes to this. I think one player like Zeke probably doesn't help in Texas, but but Elliott plus Okuda plus Garrett Wilson plus um, Dobbins. Yeah, J.K. Dobbins is the one I forgot. Yeah, like that. It helps when you can start to build out of a state like that. I think that does sort of the dominoes can kind of keep falling after years after that. Mm hmm. From the 214, is there something Ryan Day is doing to give us a foothold on the West Coast? Same question, but it seems like we're doing better with Polynesian players, where we never had that with Tress and Urban Meyer. Is it as simple as USC being kind of terrible and Ohio State jumping on an opening? Uh, yeah, and, we, and we've covered that. I mean, and that's, that's a great question. That is the same strategy applies everywhere. There's a hole on the West Coast right now, and Ohio State's not the only non-West Coast school that notices it and is doing stuff about it. Bama's out there. Clemson's out there. DJ DJ Owangalale should be the Big quarterback. Cinco. Big Cinco should be the quarterback yeah. at USC or UCLA or Oregon or Washington. He shouldn't be the quarterback in waiting at Clemson, but th- th- there's an opening. So, and Ryan Day, it's purposeful, 100%, absolutely purposeful that. Ohio state is hitting the West coast right now. Um, and it might not even be as California as my, but this Washington stuff, this is not a coincidence. The Polynesian players. I do think sometimes and I think Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togi, I both talked about this, Nathan, it can build on each other a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think if you have, I mean, Haskell Garrett, I think Tommy Togi, I think their relationship is maybe they're bonded a little bit by both having Polynesian heritage. And so the next time a Polynesian, a player with Polynesian heritage is looking around and, that he visits and Tommy Togiai is here that opens the door. I do think so to say that it's happening with Ryan day and it didn't happen with urban Meyer. That actually is an urban Meyer door. Urban Meyer was the coach when both Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett came here and urban Meyer 
had experience recruiting Polynesian players at Utah because there are a lot of Polynesian players who play on the West Coast, who play at Utah, who play at BYU. So Urban actually had that experience, and I think it took – I do not think that is coincidental, and it's almost maybe a little surprising that that didn't happen a little faster because, again, he just – you know, had, had recruited players from that culture and he he got to it at the end of his time here at Ohio state, but he didn't exactly have a million of those guys right away at Ohio state. In the pipeline did start with day with urban Meyer, the one they're experiencing right now, because it was Brandon Bowen coming out of Utah, which was all started because of a connection that his high school coach had with urban Meyer that led him here. And then when those other guys started visiting, there was already another Polynesian player here the way there hadn't been before. And they just sort of started building from there. I wrote a story last uh, December, I think about this. So to that point, when with Tumalau, you've got two Polynesian players who also play a similar position that you play. Tumalau originally classified as a defensive tackle, now as a defensive end. You're seeing people who, you know, Polynesian players who also play are getting coached by the same coach as you in a normal year. How would that, you know, how when he had come for campus on on spring game when he was supposed to come, how would they have played a role in that recruitment? Just being around those guys, huge, absolutely huge. Right, you're right, you're right, and again. That builds into, I mean, I think often Polynesian players historically have wound up at West Coast schools, have played at Mm -hmm. USC or Oregon, and those schools are just not competing in the national title mix like Ohio State is right now. So there is an opening there. It really is. I mean, you just, and you create an opening, and then once you open that door, the door can kind of remain open a little bit. So that, I I would think it's certainly possible that that that, um, might continue. Doug from the 406, I finished my PhD in 2023 on the back of the 20, 2020, 2021 and 2022 recruiting classes. What are the odds I actually see a national title win before I finish here? This person got here in 2018. So the question is, will there be a national title in 2021, 2022 or 2023? I do think it's interesting. Everybody, when you think about this stuff, you have to prepare for the fact that that 2019 crossover class when they went from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, was not up to the normal standard. It was 14th in the country. It's not a top five class like almost every other class around that. So right now you are still riding the wave of how good that 2017 class at number two was, how good this 2018 class at number two was. And there are still a bunch of 2018 guys who might make an impact next year. But there's a, there is going to be a one-class dip. It doesn't mean they're not going to be any good players from that class. Because, like, guess who's from that class? The man himself. So the The man man himself. himself. So, you know, Zach Harrison and Garrett Wilson are going to make an impact from 2019. Maybe not as much of a depth of an impact. But, I mean, then you get to 20, 21, and 22 and what they're stacking here. I thought they were going to win a national title with 17 and 18 guys. Right? I mean, and, and they didn't. So we can keep playing this game. But, like, the point is, Nathan, that, like, it's stacked up here. And it makes sense. And if you probably at any point in time, if you would say from now until something changes, if you said, I'm giving you a three-year period of time, maybe a four-year period of time, will Ohio State win a national title in that period? And you just keep rolling it over. If you gave me a four-year period, I think I would say yes. If you You, gave me a three-year period, I think I would say probably and that's just going to keep being the answer. Well, listen, I mean, you brought up a good point. Is that that 17 and 18 class, those classes back to back on paper, you would think, well, that's 
there's a championship, right? There's what it really means is you're going to be in championship. Consider it. You're going to be right there with the opportunity to win one, but you can't predict something like what LSU did last year, kind of coming out of nowhere. And that's really ultimately the story. I know that they lost to Clemson in the semifinal, but really, I mean, that was the national championship team clear as day to everyone who watched that team last year. And there's nothing Ohio state could have seen, could have necessarily done to prevent that, I guess, except not give them Joe Burrow. Like <laughs> that's a bad example because they directly gave them the Heisman Trophy quarterback that, that won the national championship. But you know what I'm saying here that like, it's, it's more about what you're saying, you know, in any, I think Ohio state year in and year out is going to always be in that consideration. Next year is the interesting year to me. It's not just the 2019 class. It's that you're going to have a first year starting quarterback. Um, we don't know how much they're going to lose in this defense and who's ready to really step in and be impact players for sure. Um, I have some uh, next year could be a shakier year, I think. But I think in general for the next four or five years, at least from what we've seen coming in, you should expect Ohio State to be right where they are this year. I mean, like in, in expecting them to see them in the, in the playoff rankings every week once they start putting those out. Yeah, I agree that that 2019 class is where you're going to see the dip. But I also I'm wondering when you look at this 2020 class and it's pretty deep with some talented guys given that they didn't necessarily have the experience, are some of those guys still going to be able to take a step and kind of make up for the fact that, you know, there's a big, you know, huge gap between what Garrett Wilson, Harry Miller, and Zach Harrison were in that 2019 class and maybe what anybody else was in that class. Can Are we going to see that class, which is pretty deep, which is pretty versatile? Can those guys maybe take a, 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 gigantic, a gigantic jump that you wouldn't necessarily see from second-year guys all the time? like a Jackson Smith, Nick Jigba, Julian Fleming, Paris Johnson Jr., like Luke Whipper, can those guys take a, a ridiculous jump to make up for it? Then I think the answer is yes, whether it's three years or four years. And it's hard because so much comes down to quarterback play. Mm-hmm. And they have the guys lined up. They have the guys lined up. I mean, they're as set at quarterback as any program in the country right now. So, so that would lead you to answer yes as well. But it's funny, as good as the 17 and 18 classes were, if you didn't add Justin Fields as a transfer in there, they they wouldn't have had it. It wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Because it like the quarterbacks they had, Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin, who were the recruited quarterbacks in those classes, weren't the answers. So how do you predict that, right? But maybe they would have kept Joe Burrow, whatever. But at the quarterback play, it's so hard to predict the future because it's just so dependent on having a guy. But it sure seems like at that position, Ohio State's going to have a guy. Let's answer one more along these lines before we take a break. I really like this one from the six one five. Who is the one signee from this class? We should expect to wear the number zero during their career. And this is talking about the block. O in honor of bill Willis that Jonathan Cooper is wearing this year for the first time. It is a number that has resonance. Now it is, it is, it means something more than just being a good player. And so we're asking who might make an impact on and off the field that would rise to, hey, this guy deserves to wear this number. And I guarantee if we had asked this last year for last year's class, everybody would have said Court Williams because everybody says Court Williams for that kind of answer every time we have a question like that. Who's that guy in this class? Steven. Um, Jack Sawyer is a, a candidate just because of what he's meant, but I'm going to go with Reed Carrico. Uh, talking to a lot of these guys, they all say he's a more athletic, tough, tough Borland. So basically – Everything that makes Tuck Borland a three-time captain, add that and make it a lot more athletic and give it some NFL talent, and you get Reed Carrico. And so I think 
he probably will embody that by the time he's a junior or a senior here where he'll probably maybe be a, a, a captain or maybe a two-time captain and embody all those things and end up getting that because middle linebacker, number zero, that's the Jonathan Cooper type guy, a top 100 guy who also is well-respected by his peers. He probably fits what they're looking for when you want to put that number on somebody. I don't have an answer. That sounds good to be Nathan. You got anything? <laughs> I mean, yeah, he he would have a good insight. I was going to say someone like Mike Hall, just because I like the idea of putting zeros on big guys. Oh yeah, I just like the I just like the big, just like the big round O on a guy who already is kind of a, a big round O. Nice, a, <laughs> a really big kid. I've stood next to him. He's pretty. He's huge. I, I want to talk about Mike Hall real quick because I thought it was so important. Um, I don't know if we have a specific Ohio question. It's funny just how things go. I mean, I just would ask every year about why they don't have more Ohio kids in the class. I was, I asked Urban Meyer many, 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 many questions about that over the years. There are six Ohio kids in this class, but the difference is four of those six guys are national top 100 recruits. Last year, do you know how many national top 100 guys there were from Ohio? One, Paris Johnson. That was the only kid from Ohio in the top 100. So he, Ryan Day, Jeremy Birmingham, and a couple other people were asking Mark Givler saying, what do you think of the talent in Ohio this year? It feels like this is a really good year. And I mean, when you ask a question like that, Ryan Day is not going to say, oh no, it was terrible, but it's truthful. I mean, they're right. They know it. It's they're right. And that you had four top 100 guys from Ohio this year in Jack Sawyer, Mike Hall, Reed Carrico. And who's the other one I'm forgetting right now. Ben Christman. Uh, ben Jaden Jaden Ballard. Jaden Ballard. Jaden Ballard. Yeah. So those four guys and Ben Crispin right outside it. Um, it it is a good year from Ohio, but I think I thought Mike Hall embodies that because Jack Sawyer is going to be Jack Sawyer. I mean, every now and then you just like Paris John- it's not to take away from it, but like Paris Johnson's Paris Johnson. Zach Harrison, Zach Harrison. Jack Sawyer is Jack Sawyer. They're just unicorns. They're just freaky guys who are just practically five stars when they roll out of bed, not to take away from the work they put in. But Mike Hall, as a guy that, again, Mark Pantone, little nug, is saying, and we knew this, not a lot of offers early on. Ohio State is all over him early. And by the end of the process, he's the number 49 player in the country out of Streetsboro. At defensive tackle, man, defensive tackle is like a big, like, like space eaten athletic defensive tackle. Sometimes that's hard to be one of a top 50 player. You're not a receiver or a corner, or a edge rusher or a quarterback. The development of Mike Hall is just a great example of, I think like the a Mike Hall is the reason this is a great year for Ohio. And I know Steven, you've been up to see him play. And I think he was hurt yeah. when you were up there with him, but, but that dude and, and Nathan, you said you want to want to put a zero on him. You love him so much just going to be a great guy to watch because we know we saw we've seen it this year with Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett. We've seen it in the past with guys like Jonathan Hankins, how much of a difference Draymond Jones, how much of a difference a great defensive tackle can really make. And Mike Hall might be that next guy. Draymond Jones is a pretty good example. He's going to be bigger than Draymond Jones. He's already, I think he might already be the same size as Draymond Jones, but a big guy who's a three tech who has clearly developed as both a football player and as a human being off the football field over the past three years, 
that's a gym that Ohio State was on early. That that's exactly what he was. I, he's to watch that that progression there. That's a good good example. And a guy people should keep an eye on, especially depending on what Tommy Togia decides to do and if ha- with Haskell Garrett leaving. That guy might have a role as a true freshman top 100 recruit. And as far as the Ohio thing is concerned, listen, I, I'll believe they'll be deep with Ohio talent when I see it. They've got four guys in the 2022 class. And Gabe Powers is the number 34 player in the country. CJ Hicks, the number 39 player in the country. And those are the only top 100 guys. And the other two guys are right on the outside at 138, 123. So I, they've only offered five guys in that class. So I just think the years just happen to sync up where you wanted to put an emphasis on the, on the state, but also, yes, there was a lot of, there was an uber amount of talent in the state to be able to put an emphasis on that probably would have had offers from Ohio State anyway. But, but they, they, they didn't put an emphasis. I mean, they didn't get any more guys. I mean, they get like five. Yeah. This is the number now. This is the number. I mean, Trestle used to take half a class of Ohio guys. The yeah. number is going to be five or six, maybe seven. That's just where yeah. it's going to be now. But it, it so happens that of the six guys, like a bunch of them are really good. Mm-hmm. We were talking before about the guys that are like the late offers, the late risers, and he was like an early late riser. If that makes any sense. So in, in June 2019, you know what he was ranked nationally? 409. Yeah. 409. So like a, a guy that people, if, if they had taken him at that point, people would have been like, what are they doing? This is what? And then he committed in on, uh, I think, February 1st, 2020. At that time, he was still 228. It wasn't until the end of that month that he got into the, he took a big jump into the top 100 and then just kind of kept climbing steadily ever since then. So um, another one of those guys that it, where again, it's, it's not just getting guys who are four and five stars. that are like known. It's like being able to identify those guys who are still developing and getting in on the ground floor. All right. We're late for a break. We got to take one. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little Michigan recruiting and we're going to ask, does anybody care? Next on Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, Michigan lost two guys who flipped on Wednesday on signing day. They lost two of their top six commits, flipped. One flipped to Maryland, one flipped to UCLA. And I texted about that during the day, and one of our tech subscribers at 614-350-3315. Great time to get in, 14-day free trial, four bucks a month after that. Someone texted back and just said, like, I don't even really care about Michigan anymore. Like I just, they're just like another team to me. And I was like, that is such an interesting bit of analysis because I think that 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 is how far Michigan has fallen. Like Ohio state fan apathy of like, you text something about like, Hey, here's something that went wrong for Michigan, which is normally like, that's like fresh meat for Ohio state fans. And it's like, I don't care. What is it? I mean, it'd be like, if you texted right now, we're like, Oh man, Minnesota lost their third best commit. He flipped to uh, Boise State. People be like, who cares? I don't care. What... So that idea, did Nathan, would you guess that people still care that like Michigan lost a couple dudes? That, well, I thought Ohio State fans would be all over that. But, I, but I, I don't disagree with the texture. But I think in some people's eyes, that's how far they've fallen. Well, I think that, and you got to also remember there's some people who – who are interested just from a, like a schadenfreude standpoint that they just want to like revel in Michigan's misery a little bit. I think there are, I think that's not maybe reflective of the whole fan base. So I think there are enough people out there that understand that these things are to some extent cyclical, even though Ohio state has definitely positioned itself on a different level here in recent years. And, you know, 
they're curious. I think uh, there's a follow-up question in there that we will probably get to in a second, but it's like, what, it's not just, what does it mean for this class? What does it mean for Michigan's program as a whole? Cause there's obviously some big um, decisions that are being made at Michigan right now. And is this symptomatic of something or is it potentially a catalyst for something? Yeah, there's a 50 point difference between Ohio State and Michigan's classes of the number one and number two classes. That's probably part of the reason they don't care. This is probably what it's like covering Clemson. I mean, it's just nobody cares about what the other ACC teams are doing on a usual basis because Clemson's so much better than those guys. And so, yes, Michigan lost some guys in their class, which it's surprising or it's not surprising. But meanwhile, Ohio State continues to get richer. So I understand why people probably don't care about Michigan unless it's Michigan week. And, you know, but. We do have to remember, like to your point, Stephen, it is the second best class in the Big Ten still. Yeah, like that. That is, it's okay. Well, if you think Michigan's bad, look at the rest of the conference. It is the second best class in the Big Ten, and it's not close. Wisconsin third, Maryland fourth. Mike Loxley getting some work done, including that flip of a linebacker that flipped from Michigan to Maryland. Penn State fifth, not a good year for Penn State recruiting. Iowa six, Nebraska seven, Minnesota eight, Michigan State nine. Mel Tucker will do better there in, in the long term. Rutgers 10 and Rutgers got a little work done. I think in New Jersey, I think there was some progress already under Greg Schiano there, Northwestern 11, Indiana 12. And that'll be curious to see what Indiana's recruiting like is like next year and the year after, if they start building it all on what they're doing on the field, Purdue 13, Illinois 14. And that's why Levy Smith doesn't have a job there anymore. But the one question, um, well, I do it. 12 top 100 players. We said for Ohio state, right? Michigan five, which again, like comparatively, that's it's not, not that bad. bad. JJ you know how many McCarthy Big Ten teams would kill to have five top yeah. 100 signees. I mean, so JJ McCarthy, the five-star quarterback from uh, Illinois, who was at IMG this year, he's five-star. He's number 22 overall player. Donovan Edwards, they got him on signing day. He was a running yeah. back that had been talked about a t- tiny bit. I think if Travion Henderson had not picked Ohio state, Steven would Donovan Edwards maybe have been next. He was on the list. He was, as far as inside the tackle running backs, he was definitely probably number two. So he's a Michigan guy, pick Michigan, number 44 overall player. Xavier Worthy, who I think people were maybe a little worried about. He's a receiver from California, from Fresno, number 76 overall player. He signed. Giovanni El Hadi, number 85 overall player. He's a tackle. That's a higher ranked tackle than what Ohio State got. And then Junior Colson. He's an outside linebacker from Tennessee, number 95 overall player. So not bad. I did when they lost a couple guys and the Michigan reports were like, Hey, you know, the coaching uncertainty had something to do with at least one of these. I said, it's like, they're getting the negative of a coaching change without the positive of a coaching change. Right. But then someone said, well, if they were going to do something with Harbaugh and not bring him back, wouldn't they wait through signing day? That on one hand, it's like, well, the uncertainty might have cost you a kid or two. But on the other hand, if you actually would have said he's done and we don't have a coach, you probably would have last, lost more guys. So we've talked about it a lot. They are saying, so they're not playing this week. Their season's over. They cannot play because of COVID. Their game against Iowa for Saturday was canceled. Their season's done. I still will not be surprised if he's not back. They're talking about the contract extension and stuff, but it's like, well, why hasn't it been done yet? Because if the three options are do the contract extension before signing day, so you eliminate the uncertainty. That helps your class. 
firing him after signing day. Well, you want to wait, right? You want to wait. So if you're going to fire him, you would fire him after, not before. So if you're signing him, why wouldn't you sign him before? And they didn't sign him before. If you're firing him, why wouldn't you sign him after? Why wouldn't you fire him after? And now we're after. That's all of my reasoning on this. You know what I'm saying? I didn't explain that very well. But it's like they're saying, oh, we're talking about an extension. But they didn't do anything. So I still wonder. Anybody else still wondering, think it still could go that he's not the coach next year? I'm 40% that he's not the coach ne- next year. I was probably higher before signing day because I, I actually think that you would maybe inspire him before signing day to give some of these kids a chance to look elsewhere the way that Illinois and some of these other schools have done. You fire your coach before somebody puts their name on a piece of paper and now they're locked into there for a year. So I'm probably more towards he's going to be back next year because they would have done that beforehand. Typically a school is going to release a kid though. If like, if you, if you were to fire Harbaugh tomorrow and a kid wanted out of his letter, I think the kid, I think the school would let him out of their letter. So what do you think then, Nathan? You think he's back? Do you believe all the contract extension stuff, or do you still think this could get they get sideways for them? You know, I I, I tend to believe that the contract extension stuff, that those talks are happening. I guess the thing about it that I find harder to believe is that he would like take a big pay cut and go on this like, you know, um, prove it kind of contract. Um, even though it would supposedly also come with like a bigger pool for assistance and stuff, but I, I don't know. I, I, there, there's ego involved here. And I don't know if he would, if he would take that. The reports that you hear about what's going on just sound weird. There's just yeah. too much stuff that doesn't make sense. Well, why are that? Why is it taking so long? Well, why would he take a pay cut? Well, whatever. And then the answer might be like, well, none of it's going to happen because he's not here anymore. No. It's like, why would he take a pay cut? He's not, he's fired. And he doesn't even have to be fired. They can just mutually part. So, I'm just curious about that, but this is the question that led us to that discussion from the 614. Have you been surprised that Ohio State hasn't flipped anyone from Michigan or anyone else going through a coaching change? Or is there a class full except for any top 100 recruits still out there? My instinct on this is they're swimming in different pools. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, all right, well, the teams that are firing their coaches stink. So Ohio State's not recruiting against them. That's why their coaches are getting fired. And Michigan's included in that, that, okay, we just ran through the five top 100 players they had. Their highest rated recruit, that quarterback, wanted to come to Ohio State. And Ohio State picked Kyle McCord instead. So, Stephen, I just think they're not crossing paths on these kids. And that even if there were Michigan player, Michigan commits who wanted to flip to Ohio State, I'm not sure, knowing nothing, I'm not sure Ohio State's interested. Yeah, I, the two, uh, the only two guys you can make that you just said JJ McCarthy, and we just talked about Donovan Edwards. They got someone who they think is a better option. One of which is by rankings a better option, and the other one, Kyle McCord, is literally right behind JJ McCarthy in the rankings. So, I mean, those were I choose you over you, and the rest of these guys, outside of the offensive tackle being higher ranked than Ohio State's offensive tackle, everywhere else, Ohio State won across the board there. So I don't that would be pointless to go try to flip that guy when your only concern is, can we get two more five stars in this class? And the kid, the, the offensive tackle that we're talking about, I mean, that would be the obvious one. That'd be like the one of those guys that you would think that they would be from. He's from Sterling Heights, Michigan. It's like an in-state guy. I mean, it's kind of like the equivalent of some of these guys we were talking about from Ohio state uh, in-state guys that Ohio mm-hmm. state got that are top 100 guys. You know, you'd expect to get him. He's, he's from, it's, it's a North suburb of Detroit. So, um, you wouldn't think that he was necessarily there to be taken if you understand what I mean, like, or flipped or whatever. He might've been 
dreaming of playing from Michigan since the day he first heard about football. So um, that's the other factor here too. It's like, it's, it, people have to remember, it's like, as much as we talk about this being, being like free agency and like wins and losses and stuff like that, it's, it's, there's more nuance to it than that. And again, Harbaugh's been getting a lot of questions about this this week is it's the lack of recruiting in Ohio, which is something that has come up for years since he's been there about why don't they recruit more Ohio guys? They have one Ohio guy uh, in this class for Michigan. It's Rod Moore, who's a safety from uh, the Dayton area. And for instance, here's the kind of guy that Ohio State would have been trying to flip from Michigan. An in-state Ohio player who was not super highly rated early on and Michigan got in on him early and built some loyalty with him. And Ohio state was late to the party and then was working on him and was trying to work the home state. Hey, we're a better program. Come play for us. And you end up battling the, well, Michigan loved me first and Ohio state's trying to flip that guy, which would have been Mike Hall if Michigan had Mm -hmm. done that. That's what Jim Harbaugh should be doing. Jim Harbaugh should be at Streetsboro getting an early Mike Hall commitment because they scout it out and say, let's get in on this kid early before Ohio State gets his claws on him. And we're not talking about that. That's why Ohio State's not trying to flip Michigan kids because they already flipped Mike Hall because Michigan never even got there to get in the mix. And I'm not, I don't mean to be throwing Mike Hall's name around, but that's what recruiting's all about. It's about strategically getting in on guys and making building relationships that can stand the test of time and hold off better programs. And man, it's just, it's not what Michigan is doing. Not enough. And at least not where they're competing against Ohio state. All right. I want to go a little bit on the secondary, a little bit harder on the secondary from the two, six, seven. And this is Dave from Bristol. And I appreciate the question, but I'm going to, I'm going to couch this with it's signing day. Everybody loves to talk about which freshmen are Twitch true freshmen are going to play next year. And at Ohio state, the default answer should be none of them. So let's just keep that in mind. I don't know how much time we spent last year talking about how much Julian Fleming was going to play as a freshman at Ohio state. He hasn't played. And I know it's been weird. It just, it's just not the norm. So just keep that in your mind. I know everybody's excited. Hey, guys, it looks like we have some great corners coming in this class, and I'm wondering if you think any of these guys have a realistic shot at not just contributing but starting as a true freshman. I know that's extremely hard, but it seems like it happens at other schools like LSU and Alabama. So the question is, I know what you're saying, Dave, from Bristol. I think you make a good point. We can find some of those examples. But I would say overall, that's not really what you want. Every now and then you get a unicorn. You get Orlando Pace, and you – He gets on campus and you say, you're starting. But most of the time, if your program's really good, you don't need to start them. Steven, is there somebody, and I have the scholarship chart. We'll talk about secondary depth from next year in a second. But you start first. Who's your candidate? Who's the most likely of the six defensive backs in this class to play a significant role in 2021? I'd say Ja'Kalen Johnson, just because he seems like the most ready um, but I also throw out, depending on where Court Williams' is, you know, health is by the time they get to the spring, um, given of when he tore his ACL, 
Jalen Johnson's rated really low, but the the role they want him to play doesn't have a lot of depth at it, especially depending on what they decide to do with Josh Proctor going forward. It will be him, Ronnie Hickman, and maybe a healthy Court Williams. And so maybe the path is just a little bit it's less resistant than some of these other places. So I throw him in there as well. But from a talent standpoint, it's clearly Jaquelin Johnson. Can he beat out Ryan Watts and legend Cavazos and at least be a guy who's rotating with those guys? Because part of the issue here is people are asking if the recruits from this year can beat out the recruits that everybody was excited about from last year who haven't played at all. So what actually makes sense is, okay, a year ago, everybody was excited about Ryan Watts, Legend Cavazos, and Cam Martinez, and none of them have done anything. Their chance is coming up in 2021, and all these six guys, most of them will do nothing next year. And then a year from now, we'll be talking about the guys in the secondary who are in the 2022 class who can play right away, and we'll say none of them because it's time for sophomore Ja'Kalen Johnson to play in 22, right? Like Nathan, that's just, I think how it should work. And I just, the secondary next year, Sean Wade's going to be gone. Marcus Williamson's going to be gone. I think it's very reasonable to think that Tyreek Johnson just will not have a role. Maybe he transfers, who's knows, but he had a chance this year and it just didn't happen. So that leaves you seven banks. And let's talk about corner mostly because they're still only playing one safety. And I think if you think Josh Proctor's back, then he's probably your guy. And Ronnie Hickman's around, whatever. Lathan Ransom also around there at safety. But at corner, it'll be Seven Banks, Cam Brown, Ryan Watts, Legend Cavazos, Cam Martinez. Those are your five guys returning to start at three spots. I think that's enough that they're not going to use any of these true freshmen, right? Who do you think will be the, the starters at corner next year, Nathan? Well, that's the thing. Like, if somebody asked me, like, well, what are they going to do? You know, which one of these guys will be the answer at slot corner? Like, why would you not assume that it's it's Cam Martinez, whose name we'd already kind of heard as someone who was showing them some good things at, at slot corner in the preseason? Like, that's that's where my brain immediately goes. Um, starting uh, Starting slots next year, I mean, I think it's probably Banks and Brown on the outside. And then I think some of these young guys start, factoring into that rotation and then a slot i don't know slots interesting would slot be someone like like uh martinez or would they find a way to use someone like ronnie hickman at slot after he starts showing some things if they still have both hooker and proctor at, at safety no i, th- I think would it's like legend cavazos or somebody yeah like that. would they move cam brown outside or would they just have him be their starting slot and then ryan watson legend cavazos can fight it out to be the other guy so listen, we think like if you're a smaller corner, you're a slot corner, whatever. Sean Wade's not a slot corner. They just played him at the slot for two years because they had yeah. Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda. So like, I mean, I just think they'll play their three best corners, however they do it. Maybe they'll rotate, maybe they won't. But if you had to, if I had to bet right now, my bet would be the three corners who play the most next year are Cam Brown, Seven Banks, and then either Ryan Watts or Legend Cavazos. And then yeah. maybe Cam Martinez gets in the mix somewhere. But again, he's playing a little bit of a newer position. So, and, but they don't need any of these guys. So, but, but now you're one injury away. But we also thought it was like this group was one injury away. They were about as thin in the secondary this year as you could be. And they suffered a really important injury. And they're still not playing Ryan Watts. They're still not playing Legend Cavazos. And I guess Cavazos was hurt, right? But still. They just, it just doesn't happen very much. It just is not, it's not how it usually works. I want to talk about Alabama a little bit from the 614. After losing out on JC Latham, has Ohio State completely lost Trestle's Florida pipeline to Alabama? 
that Trestle had a Florida pipeline, but Urban Meyer had a Florida pipeline too. Also, Alabama has the top recruit in Michigan. Any worries about Alabama coming into the Midwest? So Alabama is specific and, and rare, I think, in the Midwest. We've seen it at times, right? Sometimes it works. We all, I mean, we wrote a bunch of stuff at Cleveland.com several years ago when they were up here visiting Glenville and talking to Marshawn Lattimore. I, I don't think Alabama's coming full time because all the smart schools do what Ohio State does. You target areas of weakness. So Alabama went and pulled a kid out of Michigan. Guess what Michigan is right now? Weak. Because not only is Jim Harbaugh not getting it done in recruiting, but they had a transition at Michigan State. And then Ohio State, maybe Kerry Combs had all those Detroit relationships. He's getting back to it. Maybe Ohio State's not quite as dynamic in Michigan right now as they used to be. So Alabama saw a moment. But, Stephen, I'm not expecting Nick Saban to be camping out in the Midwest because Ohio State still rules the Midwest. And Nick Saban's going to get better bang for his buck in the South. Yeah, he came up here and got the number 19 player in the country, a five-star guy in Damon Payne. And then he went and got Devonta Smith from Ohio State's class because Devonta Smith's cousin is Sean Alexander. That, that those aren't that's that's very you know specific to oh these one's a five star so yeah we we attract that guy but then the other guy he already has a connection here that's no different than Ohio State going to get Donovan Jackson because he's got an Ohio connection that's all that was you shouldn't expect that to be a trend going forward. Also, let's not forget that when you're the 19 number 19 player in the country, uh, or I guess the other way to say it, when you're Nick Saban, you don't usually have to go like be down doors to get to the number 19 player in the country. You don't have mm-hmm. to scour to find him. That guy's coming to look for you because he knows he's a number 19 player in the country and he knows he's better than Michigan or Michigan State. and He wants to play up to that next level. So I understand that the point of the question is, why is he jumping over Ohio State to do that? I understand that. But I think it's important to remember it is as national plays as not just regional there. I am. I had not realized that they don't have a Florida player in this class. That is interesting to me just because there are so many Florida players, right? And, and we know Jim Tressel. So when Jim Tressel was in Florida, Jim Tressel was in Florida for three stars. Jim Tressel was not in Florida fighting for the best kids from Florida. He was down there getting like, okay, well, guess what? The 31st best player in Florida is still a really good player. So Santonio San Holmes and Brian Roll and some guys like that, a bunch, many more guys than that. That's what that was about. And then Urban was down there for the best Florida guys. Now the Boses are different because the Boses have a family connection to Ohio State. And I don't think it mattered where the Bosa family would have lived. Their uncle and their mom still would have been loyal to Ohio state. So that's not, but they were down there for Torrance Gibson. They've been down there for some other players. I am surprised by this. I'm looking at this now. I am going to read you where the top players in the state of Florida committed and none of them committed to Ohio state. Ready? Alabama, Alabama, Miami, Miami, choosing between Auburn and Tennessee, Georgia, I'm not saying JJ. They, I hate when they have this. JJ McCarthy's not a Florida kid. He's an IMG. Same with JC Latham. Yeah, he's from Wisconsin. Oh, then he's not a Florida kid either. That yeah. IMG is not Florida. You're from your home yeah. state. You got recruited before you went to IMG most of the time. So that mm-hmm. does. I, I didn't even realize that. That doesn't count. I'm not yeah, counting. Wh- I'm not counting that. Which is why Ohio State's last fl- actual Florida commit was 2019, and it's Marcus Crowley. So like Dallas Turner is the number eight player in the country. He's a defensive end. He's from St. Thomas Aquinas. That's a school where Ohio state's been in the past. Mm -hmm. That's a big time school. And that's Alabama getting that kid. 
And I don't know that Ohio State was ever involved with him at all. So the real actual Florida kids, Alabama, Miami, Miami, Auburn or Tennessee, another IMG kid, another IMG kid, Florida, another IMG kid, uh, Oklahoma, Alabama, Alabama, Florida, Clemson, choosing between Alabama and Florida, Maryland. That's the kid that flipped from Michigan to Maryland is from Florida. Mm -hmm. Florida, another IMG kid, Clemson, USC, Miami, there's Miami, Miami. So I would think part of it is Urban's Florida connections. A lot of that was Urban. Urban had some Florida connections. Dan Mullen, getting it done at Florida. Manny Diaz, getting some of that home state stuff going at Miami. Florida State's a mess. But when two of the three big-time schools in Florida are doing something, I, my guess would be, Stephen, Ohio State right now, given who they have on the staff, the connections they have, they don't think they're going to get the bang for the buck out of spending a lot of time in Florida. And now they're doing more Texas, more California, more Arizona, more Washington. I hadn't even realized it, but that to me, that's what this is. And proof of that is look how many, look how, how far you had to go down to even name a non sec school in that area. And I mean, outside of Alabama, you heard a lot of Florida, Miami going off in your head. You had to go down to number 10 to get to the big 12 or Oklahoma got Mario Williams. So it is that it's the sec being the sec, but also two of the three Florida programs are playing pretty decent football right now. Florida was a playoff contention until a shoe literally. So I, I do think there's money well spent otherwhere and it, with a program who attacks weeks play weak places. Florida's not really a weak place right now. Yeah. I think that's true. Uh, one more Alabama question from the 727. Why is it when we lose a really highly rated recruit, they end up going to Alabama? Alabama seems to have the inside track on all the highly rated linemen. Does it really matter who they recruit at tailback or even quarterback for that matter? Any tailback will be successful with an offensive line like that. I will say I was talking to some people and, and, and some people were making the point like Najee Harris is really good, but they, I, somebody I, I know was saying like, you could put Jarrett Patterson, the Buffalo running back behind that Alabama offensive line. And it's like, he'd do even better that that is about that offensive line. They have changed their quarterback recruiting. So that's not true about their quarterback anymore. They're not playing Greg McElroy and AJ McCarron anymore. Like to a real deal, Mac Jones, it turns out quite good. And Bryce Young's going to be awesome. He's the number one recruit, number one quarterback recruit in the class last year. So like that's real stuff. They've changed the quarterback stuff, but I would say Nathan, to me, if you're Ohio state and you're losing JC, JC Latham to Alabama, if I'm Ohio State, I'm okay losing a recruit to Alabama. I just want to make sure I'm not losing a recruit to Michigan State or Illinois or Penn Minnesota, State. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Number one, number one, if Ohio State's losing a recruit, presumably they're not going to a worse – I guess there's there's two ways it could happen. It could be somebody who was a lower commitment for Ohio State who decides that they already have been recruited over and maybe they back out and go somewhere where they think they're going to play or whatever, though that should have been a consideration up front, I suppose. Or number two, it's just, you know – the same way that they sometimes get guys that commit somewhere else and make a late decision to, to change up. I mean, you know, if, if you're going to lose a guy, you almost want to lose him to Alabama because that means they were pretty good to begin with. Because you were right. You were right about how good they were. And, that's and you're right that it's, it's better to lose them to a team that you might possibly play in the semifinals or the finals or the, or the national championship, as opposed to a guy you're going to have to see once a year every for the next four years. That's the company you're in. You're comparing yourself to Alabama and Clemson, which means sometimes you're going to lose recruits to them and sometimes they're going to lose recruits to you. But yeah, Alabama's offensive line recruiting the number one offensive tackle on JC Latham, 
the number two offensive tackle in Tommy Brockemeyer, and his twin James Brockemeyer is the number one center, and then Terrence Ferguson, the number two guard in the class behind Jonathan Jackson. So, yeah, they're, they did a pretty solid – while Ohio State probably failed at offensive line recruiting in this class, Alabama took care of business. If I were a coach, I would only recruit twins. It's half the work. I mean, why? It's like, oh, I made, I made 10 recruiting trips and I got 20 players. We're good. It's like, hey, coach, I'm the number three player in the country. It's like, do you have a twin? I don't. We're out. That would be my strategy. I think it's selfish that they're not. One's not a guard, though. It's selfish that they're not playing right next to each other. Uh, well, you know, maybe they fight. Maybe their parents wanted to separate them because they fight yeah. at home. Don't play next to them. Yeah, That's put a guard home. in between them. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> Figuratively speaking. Uh, quick question from the 858 who is sort of refuting what I said previously about Michigan. I will ask my question separately in separate texts. This is an Ohio State podcast, but you're never a true Buckeye fan if you don't keep a close eye on Michigan. Do you think that Michigan's class is a bit underrated? Given the circumstances, it's strange to see at this point. They just landed Donovan Edwards, as we said, and they're about to have four or five top 100 guys. A couple points here. The heavy star power seems to be mostly on the offensive side of the ball, which would be interesting. Like if, if they start scoring with Ohio State, that would be an issue. Maybe that's an indication that they are keeping Josh Gaddis and Harbaugh, but getting rid of Don Brown. I'm not sure, but it's interesting to see a lot of heat on Don Brown right now. He really Ryan day, like ruined Don Brown's career, Don Brown coming into, it's like Don, what the, what the 2006 national championship game was for the big 10, the 2018 Ohio state, Michigan game was for Don Brown. The week before it, you thought arguably this was the best in the country. And then what you thought was the best in the country got rolled and they were never the same. Hi, Don. Yeah. Just a real quick question. Would you say that you are like, I mean, really Don Brown, the stock is down baby. Um, also maybe there's a failure by Michigan of some sorts because in this class, uh, five of the top 100, um, kids are from Michigan, only two state in state. So they're not keeping the kids in state five top 100 players in Michigan only signed two. I do think though, that the top star power for Michigan in this class looks better than anything they've had for the last four years. This is our guy, Khaled, who was on top of stuff. He sends us stuff sometimes and keeps us informed about it. So I think he makes a good point. I was ripping Michigan earlier, but if they get the defensive coaching figured out better, and I think that is an issue there, they've got to stack some offensive talent. Because we've talked about that. Are you going to try to stop Garrett Wilson and Travion Henderson and C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord? Are you going to try to stop them? Or are you going to try to outscore them? And if you say, now we've got J.J. McCarthy, we've got Donovan Edwards, we're going to get some dudes here. I mean, I do think that that sounds like as good of a strategy as anything, I guess, for Michigan, even though we talked about Michigan before, and maybe I'm saying 180 degrees. If J.J. McCarthy is the real deal, maybe they're giving him some, some talent to play with. Yeah, I, I think that's what changes all the fact that you have a five-star quarterback coming in. And if they would have maybe cleaned up in their state and got Rocco Splendor as an offensive lineman and then Damon Payne, five-star defensive tackle to start at least that defensive transition, then, yeah, the, you have something. But I do think just getting get, – you have a quarterback now that you think is going to be pretty good. We all think it's going to be pretty good. And you start there, and now everything is possible because then it becomes – all right, we're not gonna. It's not gonna be a defensive stalemate against Ohio State, but now at least we have a quarterback where we feel like we can be in a shootout with them. All right, we're gonna call the recruiting talk there, and we're gonna do about fifteen or twenty minutes of football talk. 
Thanks to everybody who loves recruiting and is tuned in for this. We want to do a little bit to preview Ohio State Northwestern on Saturday. We will have the picks and preview pod on Friday where we will give our picks for this game and we'll get into this a little more in depth. If you missed it, for the Wednesday pod, I talked to two people about Northwestern. So we did a lot of Northwestern stuff, but Nathan and Steven weren't on that. So I want to do Northwestern with these guys. We'll be back right after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, back up, Buckeye Talk. We got some more good questions about the playoff and stuff. We'll do some more questions on the picks and preview pod as well. I think it's always if we have some rapid fire, we can uh, insert in that. That's a good thing. Brett in Phoenix. And Nathan, I want you to take this one. I was surprised and just a bit disappointed that my favorite current Buckeye, Sean Wade, said on the record that the Buckeyes need to essentially destroy Northwestern. I mean, it's true, but what happened to always respecting the opponent in public? Am I just an old get-off-my-lawn guy, or is this a difference between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day? I think this is just another log on Northwestern. Nobody respects us bonfire. So, Nathan, take us through exactly what Sean Wade said, and I always think it is super important in these things. People see a quote. I do think media can misrepresent quotes sometimes. I think the context of what the guy was trying to say, especially when we're talking about unpaid amateurs, does matter. What did Sean Wade say, and what do you think he meant? Well, I mean, the context was in the question and it was in the first part of his answer. I wrote up a piece and that wasn't the headline. But if you read the whole quote, it was basically he was asked, do does Ohio State have something to prove in this game? And he said, absolutely, we have something to prove. It's, and that's why we have to go blow them out. And it doesn't it, it, the, the, the opponent, it kind of doesn't matter, although there's obviously some opponents that you can maybe blow out more easily than other opponents, I suppose. But it was more about that they can't go in since they know that there are people out there that doubt them. They know that there's reason to question whether they should be that fourth team that gets into the playoff. They can't go in, as we've said on this podcast, you can't kind of go in and give them football reasons to start doubting you again. If you go in and you just kind of limp and still get a win, that may ultimately not be good enough, depending on what everybody else does that weekend and what the committee decides to think this weekend. So that was kind of the only point he was making that I think he was just aware of the the landscape that they're operating in right now in college football, that there there is reason to question whether Ohio State is legitimately that fourth team that should get in, and they don't want to give people further reason to question that. I think it's a quote coming from a guy who played in a game last year where because of how that Big Ten championship game played out, they lost all the ammo they could have possibly had to, to even be the number one seed. And they, what, ha- what ended up happening, they had to play a, a much tougher team and they ended up losing that game. And so that experience probably shaped why he has the views he had this year and was willing to say it on the record. If we can't play around this year and give the committee any doubt, because it's also more on the line last year, it was just the number one seed this year. I, I mean, any, you know, it's maybe being the number four seed versus being the number three seed. The, we all love to engage in playoff punditry. And sometimes those of us sports writers who don't have anything else to do other than engage in punditry, because it's, it's our job. You then try to, pull a 20 year old football player who is worried about practice and watching film and going to class and pull him into the playoff punditry. And it's like, ah, oh, excuse me, teenager. Uh, the third Gary Barta, the playoff commissioner said on a recent teleconference that, and, and then it's like, you're asking, it's like, now you be a pundit, you're involved in it, but now remove yourself and analyze whether, a 21 point win would be enough to teach you ahead of keep you ahead of Texas A&M. And then the kids like, uh, I don't know. I, we need to blow them out. Cause I, and I just think like you can, sometimes we ask a lot of these guys and I always say you have to 
Sometimes they don't mean what they say, and sometimes they don't say what they mean. So you can tell if a kid's like, we are going to, we don't respect these guys and we are going to roll them, tell them we're going to kick their butts and put my name on it. Sometimes you can tell that's what they actually mean. Sometimes they're just talking about the game and they say something that when you type it out, sounds like trash talk. And it's just them trying to talk about the game with a bunch of sports writers. I always try to differentiate between that. And it sounds like, Nathan, from what you're describing, he's just talking about the game. He's just talking about we need to prove something. We want to show people how good we are. And he wasn't saying we need to blow out Northwestern. He was saying we need to blow out opponent X that we are playing in the championship game. It's not a personal shot at the Wildcats. No, and I thought it was a more like nuanced and um, mature answer in some ways than a lot of people are giving, although they were getting a lot of bad questions. There were a lot of people who were like, hey, do you think if you guys should go to the playoff if you're 6 and Like anybody's going to say no. What? Like, you weren't going to get – there you were weren't really going to get a constructive. Yeah, you yeah, to get a constructive answer out of that. But I thought the answer that he gave, the answer I thought both the question and then the answer he gave to it were had had the correct nuance. Bad questions on the Ohio State beat. My goodness, I'm shocked. There are good ones too. I've asked bad ones. I'm not gonna. I, I'm not without sin. I can't. I shouldn't cast the first stone. But you do. I always say it's hard. We put these kids on the spot sometimes, and sometimes yeah. they should just say pass. I would say and sometimes pass. they do. They, they, a lot of them were giving the answer, and he kind of did too to an earlier question, being like, "I'm not on the committee. What, what do you want me to tell you? Like, I'm just going to go play football." But in that specific, I thought that was a, a specific way to kind of frame that. Like, do you guys feel there's still like you guys have to do something in this game? It's not just win. And he said yes. That was and the way he said yes. It's all a game of telephone because Sean Wade didn't do anything wrong, and Brett in Phoenix didn't do anything wrong. Right. But Brett in Phoenix, because of the telephone game, is interpreting what Sean Wade said in a way that Sean Wade didn't actually mean it. And we're, we're the string. What are we? They're the coffee cans. Are we the coffee cans? No, we're the whisper and they're the ears. It's our fault. It's our fault. Stupid media from the nine Oh eight. Why does Northwestern's defense with two and three star players look better than our four and five star defense? (laughs) So here's a couple things. The more I look at the Northwestern defense, the more legit I think it is. Their three linebackers are all old. They just have played a million snaps. The three starting linebackers on Saturday are the same starting linebackers from the championship game two years ago. It's the same guys. They all have more than 200 career tackles, and you just watch them. They're in the right spot in pass coverage. They're in the right spot filling the gaps on runs. I just, I just think they're pretty darn good. They actually are very similar to Ohio State's linebackers, actually. I, I think. Say, I, mean, I don't think there's a significant difference in those two units, really. And Ohio State's linebackers are pretty good. And like before this year, we might have said, how good are Ohio State's linebackers really? And now I think we would say Pete Werner, Tuff Borland, and Baron Browning are three very good football players. Are any of them Ryan Shazier? No, none of them are Ryan Shazier. They are all very good veteran football players who do the right thing on almost every snap. And that's what these guys are. Their secondary is also very good. So whatever the star rating is, the two guys in their secondary, they had two guys in their secondary named first team all Big Ten. And it's not a joke. Greg Newsom at corner is really good. And Brandon Joseph at safety is really good. They're playmakers. They're actual, they're guys. They're good players. They would both start for Ohio State. Joseph had five picks. 
um, was the Big Ten freshman of the year. I mean, that's five picks in what seven games, right? So I mean, that's I mean that's a, that a lot, that alone says a lot. I know that you can't like bank on turnovers, and they can be a little bit fluky, but not that many, not that fluky. I watched them all. Three of them were on tips, but he's in the right place. One, he stepped right in front of a pass over middle of the tight end, made a great play, and one's an interception in the end zone. It's a really good play. And Newsom is just a legit guy. If if Brandon Joseph was at Ohio State, he'd be their starting deep safety. If Greg Newsom was at Ohio State, he'd be the starting outside corner opposite Sean Wade. I mean, so like, I don't know what to tell you. So their, their back seven is really good. I'll just, I mean, it's like, I don't want to, I was texting with Landis. Landis thinks that you have to get after Justin Fields to do something. And that, that in the past, maybe we've seen defenses with good back sevens, but if you don't have a pass rush against Ohio state, it doesn't matter. I'm very curious about the idea of, can they drop seven in coverage? The linebackers are in the right spot. They have some guys who can cover and they can just make it hard on Justin Fields a little bit. I'm curious about it. I really am coming. I really have quite a decent amount of respect for this Ohio state defense because it's clearly well coached, but they have some players. That Gallagher linebacker guy, that guy's a player. That guy's a dude. Greg Newsom's a dude. This is not just a – they have a, like an undersized defensive tackle that we talked about on the Wednesday pod who's a guy. So, I don't know. I don't know. I, and you guys were all busy with other things, which is why I dug in a little bit more on Northwestern this week. I don't know. I don't know what you – do you guys – if you don't have great Northwestern opinions, Stephen, you've been doing recruiting stuff. Nathan, mm-hmm. you've been dealing with the playoff and the team stuff. I think they're pretty good. Do you guys have anything to add to that, or we should save it for the Friday pod? I mean, I'd save it for the Friday part. I, I watched a little bit last night. They looked pretty good, but like, not enough that I'm going to say something on the record here. I think I'll save my comments for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have dig into it a little bit more. I haven't researched it enough yet either, and they would probably be work better for Friday. I just will say though that I mean, the, the fact that you know, this is what I, I've always, I thought for a long time that Pat Fitzgerald was underrated. Um, his defensive coordinator has been with him a long time. He's actually on his way out. He's retiring. Uh, this is kind of their last stand, maybe in in some ways. Um, cause you, Pat Fitzgerald's a guy who you know, we've talked about, maybe he'll be at Northwestern for 30 years and maybe he'll be like the next bears coach or whatever. So I don't know. I think it's, it's, it, it's shaping up to be a, an intriguing game. And every time I like, as every day goes by, like my expectation for how many points Ohio state might score, I think they'll still win, but it, it's, it's coming down. So this is the last question. We got it from multiple people. This type of question. We got it from the three, one, three, we got it from the four, one, nine. We got it from the three, three, oh, and we appreciate all of it. And all the questions basically are, what can we tell from what Ohio State does against Northwestern that would inform us about what they might do against Alabama or Clemson? Like, what are you looking for from the 3-3-0? What do you think we should watch for on Saturday that would give us feedback on our chances against Alabama or Clemson? From the 419, what would you want to see from the Buckeyes on both sides of the ball to demonstrate that they have the ability to, to compete or win a playoff game? And from the 313, if we don't blow Northwestern off the field, then do we really think we have a chance versus Alabama or Clemson realistically? So my take is you're not going to get a look from Northwestern's offense that tells you anything. I do not think you are going to learn very much about Ohio State's defense because what Peyton Ramsey and that offense is going to do is nothing, nothing like what Trevor Lawrence and Clemson or Mac Jones and Devontae Smith and Najee Harris are going to do. So I think all that you would learn is what you learn about the Ohio State offense. And so I think what you can learn is if Northwestern does maybe make it a little bit more difficult to pass, what's the next move for Ohio State? What would that be against any defense? Because we know they can throw. But if if they're slightly slowed down there, do Master Teague and Trey Sermon get going? 
does Justin Fields run more? Do they run different kinds? Do they run some shorter routes, some crossing routes if they can't get down the field? Does Jamison Williams, if they're doing something to Olave and Garrett Wilson, do you bring Jamison Williams in? Do you go to Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert more? That, I think, is where you can gain information. Watch the Ohio State offense against the best defense they've faced so far, and I think you can learn something from that. You will not learn anything from Northwestern's offense. But do you guys, and we'll end it on this, the general idea of if they don't blow out Northwestern, well, then they have no chance against Alabama or Clemson. Steven, do you – that general line of thinking, even if you haven't dug in completely on Northwestern yet, do you understand that? Or do you think we could be like, well, okay, North, you know, Ohio State beats Northwestern 35 to 20 in a competitive game, but they could still go in the national championship. Is that reasonable? No, I, I think this offense needs to score. I'm a little more lenient with the defense if it gives up 21 points, just because, I mean, they've, they've been giving up double digits numbers all year, but I think this offense needs to score North of 50 points because I, that's what's going to win them a national championship at the end of the day is their ability to win a shootout. And so if they're being held in check, as good as Northwestern's defense may be, if they're being held in check enough that they're not even reaching the forties, then I get a little more concerned because then it becomes a situation of, okay, what if their defense isn't getting stopped against Alabama, but then their offense is getting knocked off the field three out of every five drives as well. So I, I do think as long as the offense is north of 50 points, I'll be comfortable with whatever the defense does as long as it's not 45 points, obviously. When actually I, I, I almost – I understand what you're saying, and I understand, Doug, what you were saying about how you're not going to learn anything from what this Northwestern offense does unless this Northwestern offense does a lot, which I don't think is like – probably going to happen but if that were to happen if they score like 28 points and they're getting in the end zone a lot and there's more and there's big plays happening I think that does tell you maybe something about what this team is where this team is at defensively so uh, that's uh, one thing I want to see is you know Peyton Ramsey um, had you know he had at least one big game against Ohio State in a losing effort when he was at Indiana his numbers are not good this year his numbers are very pedestrian I'm not going to say he's a noodle arm maybe like an al dente noodle arm um, but he's, you know, I think it's more about like precision and more about discipline and things like that. And that's, but that, but think about it. What is the problem at the back end of this Ohio state defense? It's things like discipline and handling your route and stuff like that. that. That shouldn't be a problem, but I don't think they have the weapons to challenge Ohio state deep, but that would maybe be the one thing I'm looking for too, is that there's, that they're just, that they're having a game like they did at Michigan state where there aren't obvious gaps showing up against a team that you should be shutting down. Peyton Ramsey threw for like 320 yards against Ohio State in, in 2018. Yeah, which is which is funny. He threw then he threw for like 160 last year. So that right. was more about Ohio State's 2018 defense. The thing that I think is it's hard to get a read on it because I even forgot this because I have a terrible memory. 2018 Big Ten Championship game. It is 31-24 with mm-hmm. 10 and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. It's a one-score game. Northwestern kicks a field goal to make it a one-score game. And then Ohio State scores with nine minutes left and with four minutes left, and they win by 21. It was a one-score game that late. It was 24-21 in the middle of the third quarter. It was a three-score game. I mean, a three-point game. So this was, a, this was a game for more than three quarters. But when we look back on it, maybe it's just me because I'm dumb and old, you know, Dwayne Haskins threw for 499 yards. They won by 21. And it's like, oh, they didn't handle it. So I don't know, like, if it would go like that, 
Justin Fields puts up huge numbers, but it's only a one score game in the fourth quarter. I don't know. I don't know what we'd think. Cause I think people look at that as a pretty solid win, but it was tight. And I actually think it's very possible. That's kind of how it goes that it, it might. I'm not so sure that 45, 24, isn't a really good score prediction. So um, I don't know. I would say my answer generally is I think they can look okay against Northwestern because I think Northwestern's defense, as much as it's respected, might be underrated. I think they could look only okay against Northwestern and still legitimately win the national title. Go ahead, Nathan. And I was just going to say 45, 24 people shouldn't panic about that in terms of the playoff um, qualification because then the committee is going to say they beat a team that we had ranked number 14 on a neutral field by 21 points. I think that's going to give them that's going to give them more credit than they have. That's going to make their resume better than it is right now. It's not a detriment to their resume to only beat the number 14 team in the country mm-hmm. by their ranking by three touchdowns on a neutral field. We're not going to talk about playoff rankings because I'm trying to be nicer. <laughs> the Georgia beat writer from the Athletic wrote a column that I disagreed with every argument he made, but I'm trying to have a big picture perspective that there are more important things in the world than playoff rankings. And the bottom line is no matter how much we yell and scream, it doesn't matter. And we're going to have an answer on Sunday. And I think they're fine. So like just because somebody or multiple bodies think that Ohio state like shouldn't make the playoff because they've only played half a season, like their opinion doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. The committee is going to figure it out. Even the committee's previous opinions don't matter because they change their mind on the last day all the time anyway. So we probably, it's not worth me shouting for another extra half an hour. I will just say, I disagree with many of the things that other people say about the playoff. And that is the healthiest way for me to deal with that issue. Nimrods, man. I don't, please... But I can't – Can we? I don't want to hear the name Coastal Carolina again. The, the underdog – the underdog run amok. What about – I mean, honestly, I can't I, – please don't make me do that. I really – it sounds like I'm on a pill. It's so frustrating. I don't want to see it. I have an eighth grade – the eighth grade team down the street also has a zero at the end. I don't think they should make the playoff either. I apologize to Coastal Carolina. I just, I just don't, why do we have to close our eyes? I mean, people are saying like, is it fair that coastal Carolina is a non power five team and they don't have a chance to make the playoff. That's not fair. So it's not fair to coastal Carolina and it's not fair to Ohio state because they didn't play enough games, but that's just the way it's going to be. And my answer is, have you seen the players on coastal Carolina? Why do we have to pretend that Coastal Carolina's team, which I'm sure they're recruiting ranks in the hundreds, why do we have to pretend to have a conversation where we mention Ohio State and Coastal Carolina in the same breath? Why can't we be honest with ourselves? That is that the conversation we want to have? This person also argued, tried to throw Georgia, two lost Georgia, and say, well, if we're just going by the best team, and we're not worried about actual playing games. If we go by best team, now that Georgia has figured out its quarterback situation, they're one of the four best teams too. And to that, I would say they lost twice, you freaking moron. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that because I'm not going to say those things anymore. 
but it would help me. My best therapy is for other people to be less dumb. Is that too much to ask? Can you have 5% logic in your argument so that I don't have to get angry? Thank you. Nathan or Steven, anything you guys want to add? I feel like this is bad news for New Jersey and Rutgers because I don't know that you can be nice to more than one entity at once that you want to rip. And I like, so I'm kind of, I was trying to tee you up to maybe just go after the playoff guys so that the, the Scarlet Knights can still just bask in your warm glow. You, you do have to pick one, but I I agree with you. This, (laughs) why are we so fixated on watching somebody get massacred on national television in front of millions of people? It's just not what that's, that that doesn't make for interesting TV for anybody. When we know what they're doing. But I'm not sure the argument that the, the semifinal games would be bad is necessarily the argument because it's there's not, a lot of years where the semifinal games are already bad. They are, but it's one thing for it to be bad. It's like, man, they they really they worked on them. But it's another thing to go into it knowing this is exactly how it's going to go, and then it goes the exact way you thought it was going to go. It's you mean you, like LSU Oklahoma look, last year? Yeah, and we didn't have a choice there. It's just you had to throw a fourth team in here. But to purposely think that you need to put Coastal Carolina and Cincinnati in this conversation – it just doesn't make any sense. You don't think last year's Oklahoma team would have rolled Coastal Carolina, though? I mean, I think oh, – 100%. Think- Jalen Hurts would have – listen. <laughs> Jalen Hurts would have probably been able to play himself into the first round if he'd have played Coastal Carolina just because the stats would have been ridiculous. It also makes me feel good that Carson Wentz got benched. So I'm trying to accept the things in my life that I'm enjoying. So congratulations to Jalen Hurts from taking that job from the most overrated quarterback in the league – he stinks. I yelled Carson went sucks like nine times on a Browns podcast earlier this year. I need help. All right. Friday pod. I guess we're doing you guys up. We're doing the live Thursday, live Thursday night with the Zoomers, right? We're back to that. We haven't done one in a while. Yeah, sure. When do you, you guys are going to the game, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. When are you guys leaving Friday morning? Yeah. Friday sometime. Yeah. Friday. So you're okay. Night. Thursday night. You're not leaving Thursday night. Cause usually there's a, there's a pre yeah, there's, there's a coach's nothing. news yeah, conference yeah, on Friday happening this year. So it's not, not worth going any earlier than maybe like noon on Friday. Can I also ask, this seems like a bared question. Why did they move it? Why is it at noon? I don't know the answer yeah. to that. Why did they move it from eight? I don't know for sure why they did either. They did a couple weeks ago, but I, I don't know what it was. I don't know what necessarily precipitated it. I believe that announcement happened on the day that I wasn't quote unquote working. So I didn't follow the story as closely as I should have. I don't know the reason why they moved it, I, but it happened. It's it, interestingly, it happened at a time where Ohio state had just had a cancellation. Maybe they, you know, maybe Fox was trying to protect itself. If Ohio state ended up not being in that game. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it's that just makes, a little yeah. weird. That actually, given what the schedule was, that would make sense. Cause in the, the, I think what the primetime game was at that time when everybody was playing was still a pretty, you know. I mean, right now, Maryland against Northwestern, which is what you almost had for this game yeah. because Indiana can't play and Ohio State wouldn't have been eligible. Um, that game does not belong in primetime. Although I did double check this because I almost, I almost texted that the other day. If they had not changed the rule and Ohio State could not play in the Big Ten Championship and Indiana was going to the Big Ten Championship game, and this had happened and Indiana had a COVID issue, they would have canceled it. They were not, they are not a replacement league. Some of the leagues are replacement leagues. Like 
Washington can't play in the Pac-12 championship game, so Oregon's going to play in it instead. They are not canceling it. The Big Ten decision had been if one of the two teams can't play it, we're not doing it. So I respect I, that, too, because it, you're taking away from the who actually wins the champ if you're just replacing people because they got COVID. Because Maryland could not have played either because Maryland did not meet the five the six-game threshold. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if they had actually done that, it's like Ohio State doesn't meet the threshold. Indiana's supposed to play, can't play. Maryland doesn't meet the threshold and you would have been down to three and five Penn state as the East representative getting to win. You're actually going to call them the big 10 champion. Yeah. So that's the point is they weren't ever going to do that. But I was wondering that too, because again, Maryland, it wouldn't have been Maryland because they've only played five. That's right. All right. That's the pod. We'll see you zoomers. You texters. If you want to be part of the zoom on Thursday night, it's for texters only six, one, four, three, five, Oh, three, three, one, five drop a review at Apple podcasts, read Cleveland.com slash OSU. We will see you on the Friday pod for Nathan and Stephen. I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>